Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. Uh, Let's talk about another matter involving St. Louis County. This has to do with its police department. Um, There are two black lieutenants who have filed a lawsuit here, um, and their claims are are pretty interesting. I don't know if any of you uh, have read these claims, but they're basically saying um, that they were transferred um, in retaliation. Um, because they began to organize this union. This is a chapter of the Ethical Society of Police, um, which largely represents black officers. And they're also saying that this is racial discrimination. Um, Eric, do you, do you think they have a good case here? Well, the term good is such a subjective comment. But what I do say um, to my clients who I represent who are employers, when somebody makes an issue as a result of their protected class status, you treat them better. You don't treat them worse. Because keep in mind that Nixon failed not because of the break-in, but because of the cover-up. And many times, plaintiffs will lose a lawsuit based on the underlying claim of discrimination. But when on the secondary claim of retaliation. Hmm. So you think there might be some evidence here that that shows this kind of retaliation. That might be a really strong case for them. Mark, uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you had this, I mean, you know, a a captain was made the chief. So jumping over all the lieutenant colonels, I'm sure that didn't go over well with the lieutenant colonel. Um, one of these, the, this lieutenant colonel, I think this is a slightly different, this is a different case than what the two lieutenants you were talking about. But they're all kind of arguing about getting transferred around. And my sense is that is a way that the police department um, can punish people without punishing them. You, you go on the night shift or you're, you're sent out to this district, which, really, which is really far from your home that you don't want. And um, I agree with Eric that you know, it's this retaliation that will often come back and it's pretty clear what what other reason is there for, for doing this other than that you complain. It's interesting. I mean, and it, Sorry, go I, ahead, Bill. I, I was just going to say it does seem like the transfers of these three high-ranking uh, black officers uh, smacked of some reprisals. And, and it certainly, you know, it didn't help when uh, the new, the, the new chief made that comment about uh, not thinking there was any systematic racism that had existed in the department. So, um, yeah, I think that they have got an issue with the way they're handling black 
officers. It's interesting. It, it seems to go beyond uh, black officers. It's worth noting, KSDK notes, um, that this term geography lesson, which is applied to people who get transferred out to the hinterlands, this was, quote, frequently thrown around um, at the 2019 trial of Keith Wildhaber. He's the um, gay police sergeant. He ended up winning a $20 million jury verdict because, you know, he alleged the same kind of they were messing with him. As Eric says, this, this issue of retaliation, when he would complain, they gave him a worse assignment. Um, shouldn't they have learned their lesson after a $20 million jury verdict? <laughs> well, a, hard hope head, so. a hard head makes for a soft behind. <laughs> <laughs> so what about this idea that they were organizing this, this chapter of the Ethical Society of Police? Aren't there laws also that specifically protect union organizing? Or am I dreaming from my days back in California where I'm pretty sure there was such a law in the book? Mark, yeah. could they be in trouble for that? Yeah, and it's not even forming unions. It's collective bargaining, organizing. I mean, anything that's for the collective good is protected under federal law. So, yeah, if they're retaliated against, um, that would uh, they can't they can't do that. They, I mean, having said that, you know, the police department is a paramilitary style group um, where you're supposed to salute and say yes, sir. And I think sometimes the high-ranking people start thinking. I'm all that, and I get to do whatever I want, and nobody gets to do whatever they want. We all are bound by rules, and you know, a, good, a great way to get in trouble is to forget that. Mm-hmm. Bill, do you think a jury will be sympathetic to this if it gets to this point? Well, I, I guess it would depend on what the jury looked like. Um, and uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see, see something like this get settled. Um, you know, when... Not try to try, try to deal with the issues and 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 you know and come to a settlement. <laughs> I but, think everybody would be would be benefited under those circumstances. Um, well, they say settlement negotiations are supposed to be confidential, but a little birdie told me that the gay officers' lawsuit could have been settled for eight hundred thousand dollars, as opposed to the ten million dollars settlement after the jury came back with the $20 million verdict. Yeah, you'd think even if they didn't learn that they're not supposed to do geography lessons, they might learn don't mess with a jury verdict, Eric. We're talking to our legal roundtable, and today that includes Mark Smith. He's an associate vice chancellor and dean for career services at Washington University. And we're also joined by Eric Banks. He's a former state prosecutor and city counselor for the city of St. Louis. He's now in private practice at Banks Law. And last but not least, we're joined by Bill Freivogel. He's a journalism professor at Southern Illinois University Carbondale. And before we get to that Springfield case that I just keep talking about because I'm so intrigued by the legal issues, it represents. I do want to go to the phone lines. We have a caller here. Uh, Ron is calling from Ferguson. Um, Ron, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Uh, my question would be, is there a cap on damages for sexual and racial discrimination? If they're not the same, why are they different? Uh, that's a that's a good question. I don't know if any of our experts here have the answer off the top of their heads. Um, does anyone want to take Ron's question here? If not, we can try to get an answer next month. <laughs> Mark, you well, look well. Oh, there Eric, are, there are caps on 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 damages. I mean, it would depend upon you know whether it's uh, filed under federal law or filed under state human uh, rights law. Um, so, um, 
and yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't believe the caps are different for sexual versus racial, but I'm not a hundred percent certain. Eric, do you have any insight on this one? Yes, there are caps, and many times the attorneys um, get past the idea of the cap caps by articulating the damages as being compensatory as opposed to punitive. So most of the caps that we see are on exemplary or punitive damages. And so um, how would that translate, say, for a couple of police lieutenants claiming racial discrimination? Like how how might that play out in real life? Well, um, no offense to the third estate, the media, but what the jury and the press giveth the settlements and the court of appeals and the process of remediator sometimes taketh away. If I got a $20 million jury verdict, that would be on the front page of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, or it would be at the um, top of your hour for your program. But if the court of appeals takes it away from me, that probably wouldn't be news. That makes sense. And I have heard of this happening. So, uh, well, Ron, we want to thank you for that question. And and let's go to talk about this case here in Springfield. Uh, Missouri Lawyers Weekly recently reported on this very interesting jury verdict. This woman sued after being fired from her job as a grocery store cashier. She said she was fired for being ugly. A jury agreed, and they said she deserved $100,000. Eric Banks, is there a right not to be discriminated against on the basis of your looks? Um. Let me give a Harvard Law Review answer to that. Yes, no, maybe, sometimes. (laughs) As your audience members know, we're living in a state where Missouri recognizes the concept of employment at will. That means absent a contractual provision, anybody can get fired for anything at any time, but for the reason of being a member of a protected class. So... My employer, if I had one, would have the right to fire me because I was ugly, because I was um, follically challenged, because (laughs) I was tall, but that employer could not fire me for my protective class status. Now, if I could prove that I was really being fired, not because I was ugly, but because hypothetically, I was a female, and males who looked functionally the equivalent of me, i.e. not um, centerfold material or not a product of central casting, then that is sex discrimination. So I am reasonably sure that she won based on the argument of sex discrimination as opposed to they fired me because I was ugly. Hmm. That's a great Harvard Law Review explanation there, Eric. I'm I'm getting this now. Mark, do you think, is this a novel interpretation of the law, or do you think this has kind of been there all along? No, it's a, um, I think she came to her lawyer saying, I got fired because I'm ugly. And he said, well, let's think about this and see how we fit it into the law. And, And probably ask her questions like, well, did other women get fired because they were other, did men? And then he made the argument, like Eric said, well, um, no men were um, uh, fired or disciplined or treated unfairly because of their appearance. So you're only applying this to women. Um, So that's the protected class. And you're you're discriminating against only the women, not the men, based on appearance. 
then the employer tried to come back and say, well, we didn't fire her because of that. We fired her because uh, she was a bad employee. There were customer complaints, other stuff. But uh, unfortunately for the employer, they didn't have any records of that. Nothing, no way of proving that. Um, so I think the jury was left with, well, we don't believe that. And we think she was treated differently uh, because she's a woman, not because just of her appearance. So you don't get to say ugly as a protected class. I know that's what you wanted, Sarah. <laughs> I did kind of want <laughs> not that. Did you, you don't need, you would never fit into that protected class, but. But I know um, we're excited about that. It would have been a good headline. You you know, yeah. (laughs) But but comments about a a, a woman's appearance, whether they are, that the the woman is ugly or beautiful, they can equally get your, uh, be considered to be sex discrimination. I mean, that's what happened here. This was sex discrimination. Hmm. Do you see this is, this is a pretty clear cut way of how this law was uh, supposed to work? Yeah, I see this as a very clear cut way. You know, you, and you know, you can't, you can't be, uh, uh, saying to women in a newsroom, you know, you're boy, you're really attractive. Uh, you know, I'm not going to send you out to cover a, a protest demonstration or something like that. I mean, uh, yeah, this is creating comments about a, a, a woman's appearance it can create a sexually hostile environment that can make it uh, difficult for, uh to work in or, or, or a racially hostile educational mm-hmm. environment to make it difficult for a female student to, to study in. And that's potentially sex discrimination. It's interesting. And this actually reminded me of this Lampley case. Do you guys remember this? It was about a year oh, yeah. ago. Uh, the Missouri Supreme Court found that it's illegal for employers to discriminate against people who don't conform to gender stereotypes. And this ended up, they again used these sex discrimination laws because he was saying he was fired because his behavior didn't conform to the stereotype of masculinity held by his employers, held by managers, kind of under that same rubric. It seems like people who think we're in an at-will state, you can fire anyone for anything you want. It's like, <laughs> eh, these these laws here are written in a way that Missouri might not feel like they want to protect LGBTQ people, but the law clearly has, has found a way to do that. Eric? Sarah, they tell me that there's a couple of fine um, restaurant establishments. I've never been, of course, but um, I think their names are Hooters and Twin Peaks, and they're known for their outstanding food. But based on what people tell me, they have a certain type of employee that they hire. And I always wondered how they could get away with it. So I did a little research this summer. And I found out the reason why Hooters can have a certain type is because they categorize the employees not as hostesses, but as entertainers. And they say that a bona fide occupational qualification for being an entertainer at our restaurant is you have to have a certain look. Hmm. That argument along with the fact that every time Hooters gets um, sued for sex discrimination, they settle for nuisance value. Hmm. A, long, a long time ago, Southwest Airlines tried to use that. You know, they called themselves the Love Airline at the beginning, I guess because they flew out of Love Field, uh, and also, you know, to try to make other suggestions. And they only, only wanted to hire beautiful stewardesses. I guess we did call them stewardesses at that point. Uh, this is about a 20-year-old case. And so they claimed that was a bona fide occupational 
requirement to be beautiful for the love airline and that that didn't that didn't fly <laughs> but it, it's it sounds like it's flown for hooters and, and we appreciate eric banks doing his homework on this because honestly that is a great legal question and i have wondered about that in the same way i've wondered if there's a right to be ugly so legal roundtable answering all your questions I, this has been a good one um and here's another oh mark let me have you jump i in was here. just gonna say and eric i, I isn't bfoq you can't use it for race, though. You, you can use it for sex. But, like, if I wanted to have a restaurant with a the theme, I couldn't say, um, I, and only these people of this racial background can be servers in my restaurant. That is correct. And yeah. um, you can also use it for religion. So if I am the um, principal of a parochial school, I could require that only members of that denomination be employed as teachers of that school. Okay. I think this BFOQ is... I'm sorry, BFOQ is what? Bonafide Occupational Qualification. Oh, thank you. And and I think it's in the future going to be more and more narrow. So, you know, the idea that um, a a Hooters restaurant couldn't hire a man, I think that's going to get tougher and tougher in the future. Hmm. I can see that. For more on what the pandemic has meant for small businesses across the country, I'm joined now by Amara Amokwe, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Amara, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So earlier in the show, I spoke to Catherine Wild, who's the chief executive of the Partnership for New York City. And she said that about a third of New York's small businesses could close when everything is said and done with the pandemic. Is that what we're seeing roughly nationwide So what we've seen over the course of this pandemic is that small businesses have recovered. So the economy has recovered roughly half the 22 million jobs that were lost early on in the pandemic. And that is a good sign for small businesses because small businesses account for about half of private sector employment. And we've also been tracking data that looks at the number of active business owners across the U.S. And that has rebounded from a very steep plunge earlier on in the pandemic. But there are a lot of challenges that could still mean that small businesses close or that they face significant headwinds in the weeks and months to come. One of the big things that is happening right now, as we all know, is that coronavirus cases are surging across the country. And what that means is that state and local governments have re-implemented restrictions meant to curb the virus's stem. And so that affects the ability of small businesses to operate, generate revenue, and continue to recover. Are there specific types of small businesses that have been hit harder than others during the pandemic? I mean, here on the show, we've talked about the effect that the pandemic is having on restaurants, for example, because of limits on indoor dining. But what other industries, small businesses um, have been hit hard? So basically any small business in an industry that requires personal touch, high levels of personal contact, and also people actually physically visiting the, the establishment, those are the kinds of small businesses that have been hit the hardest. So you mentioned restaurants. Restaurants still are down by about two million in terms of employment compared with pre-pandemic. Um, live and sporting events, leisure and hospitality small businesses, those are the kinds of establishments that really have not recovered to the extent as other, other small businesses have. For instance, professional and business services. Those small businesses weren't hit as hard early on in the pandemic, and we have seen them recover a little bit better than than other small businesses that require people to come in or require people to be in contact with one another. 
How have small businesses, the ones that have survived, adapted best to um, some of the changes? And again, using restaurants as an example, we've seen some folks, you know, set out set up outdoor dining here in New York with uh, heat lamps, etc. What about other small businesses? How are they adapting? So it's really about doing things that make consumers feel comfortable or doing things that allow consumers to interact with the business virtually, right? So we've seen and talked to a lot of small businesses that are talking about boosting their website so that customers can shop online. At the same time, however, uh, a lot of small businesses were able to participate in the Paycheck Protection Program, which was the federal government's main um, way of supporting small businesses through offering forgivable loans. But of course, as you know, Tandina, um, the federal government is kind of stalled right now on offering additional aid to small businesses amid this huge gridlock in Congress. And so small businesses really are running out of that lifeline or they are just anticipating and hoping that Congress passes more aid to help them along. We should note that New York Public Radio, which produces this show, The Takeaway, received an $8.9 million loan through the uh, Paycheck Protection Program. Um, What is we know that there's gridlock in Congress. Does Joe Biden, has he addressed this at all? Does he have a plan uh, to start on day one? Should Congress not pass additional stimulus funds for small business before he takes office? Well, President-elect Biden has really been sort of uh, encouraging Congress to get something done now. He's encouraged Congress to not wait until after the inauguration to pass a package because of the need that is out there in the country. Um, But he's sort of maintained this posture that if we can get cases down, get the public health crisis under control, that will give consumers more confidence to go to that small business, to support that small business, and also give small businesses more of the resources they need to be able to operate safely. Amara, there's some data that talks about how Black and Latino-owned businesses are doing better at this point in the pandemic than they were several months ago. What's driving some of that recovery? Well, I think what happened is that over the course of the Paycheck Protection Program, um, Congress and the Trump administration realized that the program wasn't reaching um, minority communities, perhaps as well as well as it should have. And so they implemented measures over the course of the program to ensure that the program was better flowing to those communities. For instance, they set aside um, certain um, a certain amount of money for community development financial institutions, which often do a really good job of getting loans and other kinds of capital into minority communities. And so I think um, that helped. That certainly helped um, sort of improving this federal lifeline and making sure that it reached those businesses. I think another thing that's happening is that um, small businesses have turned to other sources of aid. There are states and local governments that have rolled out their own programs for small businesses. And in the wake of the killing of George Floyd over the summer and this national conversation that we were having about racial injustice, you know, a lot of state and local governments said we're going to roll out programs specifically for minority-owned businesses. And so I think um, Black-owned businesses and other minority-owned businesses have been able to take advantage of those sorts of resources as well. What specifics would small businesses like to see from the next congressional relief package? One thing that a lot of small businesses have said to me 
is that they would like to see a program or or or, re, or a reimplementation of the paycheck protection program that addresses the neediest of businesses right so the first iteration of of PPP was sort of really broad it was a huge lifeline kind of just thrown out there for all to kind of take advantage of and small businesses have said to me let's make sure that this next package focuses on those hardest hit industries like restaurants like leisure and hospitality like those small businesses that really saw a huge decline in revenue and that didn't come back. A lot of small businesses that already took PPP loans are also looking for um, a simplified forgiveness process. So you'll remember that a big draw of PPP was that these loans are forgivable if businesses meet certain criteria. But just looking at the applications that have come out for these businesses to apply for forgiveness, a lot of them are concerned that it will take a long, a long time for them to get their documents together and to go through the process. And so they're really looking for Congress to sort of simplify the process, make it really easy so that they don't have to take time away from keeping their businesses afloat to apply for forgiveness. Also, as we mentioned earlier, the PPP uh, loans were also, you know, really not limited to, I think when a lot of people think small businesses, they think a a certain uh, dollar amount that might not be in the millions of millions of dollars, right? Um, Is there anything that's really geared towards small companies, maybe mom and pops, you know, single owner type businesses, or will they also have to compete uh, with larger, maybe mid-sized businesses to to get that type of cash? So a lot of the proposals that are out there in Congress about how to restart PPP do have specific sort of carve-outs for businesses with instance Uh, for instance, with 50 employers or fewer. There are also some proposals out there that would make it so that a business had to demonstrate a certain percentage drop in revenue in order to qualify. So it does seem like if PPP were to be restarted, Congress is really thinking about how to make it a little bit more targeted than the first round. And another interesting thing is that Congress is also, a lot of congressional proposals have also sort of proposed um, set-asides for community development, financial institutions, and other community lenders to sort of address on the front end the ability of minority communities to access this program. Whereas during the first iteration of PPP, it was sort of on the back end as they realized that it wasn't really reaching those communities this time around, it seems like they're, <clears throat> excuse me, this time around, it seems like they're thinking about it up front. If federal aid doesn't come soon and we are beginning across the country in different states at different capacities to implement uh, what some people are calling a pause, other people might call a modified lockdown, for example, uh, shelter in place, stay at home, whatever it is, this is going to hurt small businesses if they don't get the money that they need. How can some of these folks survive the uh, next couple of months? I think that one thing that small businesses are thinking about is how to continue to meet consumers where they are. And so they're looking at programs, whether that be in their local community, through civic organizations that can help them, for instance, boost their websites, um, get online payments going, those sorts of things. I think small businesses have shown throughout this pandemic that they're really creative, whether that means pivoting to a different line of business or changing the way they do business entirely. That's what small businesses are going to try to do absent any further federal aid. But I think just looking at data, looking at surveys, small businesses have been really clear that they need additional help. And so I don't really think it's optional if we want to see small businesses continue to weather this pandemic. You're in touch with small business owners um, for your reporting. What are some of them telling you about how they're feeling? Because the, the what I hear a lot in New York is, 
you know, some folks are saying this is it. If we go, you know, if we have another lockdown or shutdown or modified shutdown, they won't be able to make it. But what are you hearing from the folks you're actually talking to? I'm hearing that also. It's a lot of it's a lot of uncertainty as these cases ramp up again. One thing that small business owners are saying is, you know, I took a PPP loan, so that kept me afloat. I've been able to make adjustments to keep myself afloat. But it's also about consumers, right? If people are losing their jobs because businesses are closed or because there's uncertainty out there in the economy, consumers pull back on spending. They don't necessarily spend on things that they don't need. And so that affects the ability of small businesses to have that customer come in or go to their website to buy a product. And so everyone is intertwined. So to the extent that there's uncertainty out there and consumers say, let me maybe not make that big purchase or maybe make that um, discretionary purchase because I'm not feeling confident about what's going on, that affects the ability of small businesses to survive. Amara Amokwe is an economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Amara, thanks so much. Thank you. This is WFAE News. I'm Gwendolyn Glenn. The pandemic is hitting Black-owned businesses hard. A Federal Reserve Bank report finds they are twice as likely to close when compared to white businesses. Black-owned restaurants are especially hard hit given the restrictions on capacity during the coronavirus. In Charlotte, Cathay Dawkins, co-founder of Black Businesses of Charlotte, says last month's Black Restaurant Week, which was held for two weeks, helped lure customers to struggling restaurants. He says revenue for them increased by 25 percent during the event from last year. But still, Dawkins says many Black-owned restaurants are trying to hang on with some expected to close in coming months. There was like a 25 to 35 percent closure of the restaurants that we knew that were open, Black-owned restaurants, had already closed their doors or had temporary closed. What are some of the, the reasons they are closing? Are they not getting the PPE loans or what are they telling you why they're closing their doors? From March to May, we saw that it was hard for them to get workers. And so they had to figure out, you know, how can we sustain workers? And a majority did not get approved for PPP loans. The larger restaurants, so the ones that's located uptown and the ones that have been established for more than three to four years, they were getting the PPP loans. But the smaller ones, the ones that are just recently opened and within a year or two were not getting approved. And they were closing at a higher rate than the rest of them. So we're really concerned about the restaurants that are newly open and the ones that don't have a name for themselves in the community. And what were the reasons for the ones that did not get approved for those loans? Why were they being turned down? Some was related to taxation, meaning they still had not filed their taxes for 2019. And that was a big requirement of 2018. And so we were trying to help as many as possible fill out the information and do it accurately. But even the ones that did have their things together and they did have their bank account, they did have their taxes done, mm-hmm. we still seen a low approval rate. So only about 7 to 10 percent of the of those that we talked to were actually approved. Well, let me ask you this. Um, Forbes magazine had an article where they just simply put a lot of these loans being turned down to institutional racism. Do you see that as a factor? Yes. And even though I was saying some of the technical errors, whenever you apply for a loan in general, they they want to know where you're located. And so one of the biggest things is if you're not located in a high white foot traffic area, they clump you in a different pile. And so if you're not located in those areas that they feel like, okay, we're definitely going to get our money back. It's going to be high traffic, high foot traffic. It's a white area. It's safe. Any restaurants outside of those zones, it's almost like redlining, but in a different way. 
If you're not located in those areas, you're less likely to get a loan. And so 75% Black businesses that apply do not get approved from, from most of the larger banks. What would you say they need at this point to stay open? We talked about the loans, but what else do they need to help them stay open? Based on everything that we've seen, there needs to be some type of grant that is between 1000 to $5,000 that is given to these businesses so that they can just make it through right now. And then they can prepare for the long term. But right now they need to be stimulated so that they can survive just right now. Because okay. a lot of them are not going to make it past December 31st. And do you have a number in terms of how many are out there and how many have failed or closed? As far as black businesses? Yes. There are about 65 black-owned restaurants and specialty shops that we have on our list. And we we already saw that 17 were closed. That number could go up to 50% based on those that we've spoken to. Um, 50 to 75% of black businesses in the Charlotte, North Carolina area either are 50% below their normal revenue for the year or borderline about to go into the red. And they're going to have to make that decision, you know, in the spring if they can afford to make it through another year. The Cows, Context of White Supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Friday, November 27, 2020. So I have been told, uh, I guess, I don't know, safe uh, nigger Friday to everyone. Still looking forward to Coon Tuesday, Sambo Wednesday. Hopefully nobody was out in all of the, I don't know, crazy shopping and all that. Because they did say that some of that was still going on, although it was supposed to be muted. Uh, they were trying to do more to encourage uh, online purchasing and what have you so that people wouldn't have to be all mashed together. Because, you normally they they normally get together and throw down, like grab somebody in the headlock and you got the last, you know, PlayStation five and grab you and grab somebody by the head and all that good stuff. Um, so hopefully you, you know, missed out on all of that anyway. You have been. If you didn't have to go to work, if you got a couple of days off from the plantation, extraordinary. You can get quality rest, do some cleaning around the residence, practice some healthy quality cooking, do some yoga or get some other exercise time in. Even just relax and enjoy self-care with the family. All great alternatives and be ready to roll for the new work week uh, this coming Monday. Uh, the number to dial for folks, if you have thoughts, uh, suggestions, problems to share is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Number again, 720-716-7300. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Email address until justice at gmail dot com. Until justice at gmail dot com. A uh, few things uh, to share before we get to folks that dialed in and emails and all that good stuff. 
Wowie, the audio segments that we started with. I thought I said this, I think the entire year there have been so many different reports on on so many different aspects of what's happening in the workplace because of COVID-19. And really, that's the root of it. And then everything else uh, that's come up this year. There have been so many reports. We could just do a whole program just on, you know, what's happening in the workplace. Uh, Just it's been very easy to find uh, different segments and things and just things that are intriguing, hopefully constructive info. So I had a report that I thought it was dealing with vaccines in the workplace, which I was keenly interested in hearing. Uh, Like, what are they talking about? What do those discussions sound like? Is it going to be a requirement to be vaccinated and push back around that? But the report wasn't really dealing with that component of it. It was more just about, you know, the vaccines and are they effective and blah, blah, blah. I didn't really deal with a workplace component, but I am sure that is coming. So we will stay tuned for all that. If we have any people who are in a work environment where this is already being discussed in terms of you have to be vaccinated or we have a time frame about when this might be happening, even if we're talking 2021, that type of thing. That is certainly something to be thinking about and getting prepared for. Those conversations are probably already going down, uh, depending on the type of uh, job that you have. I know we had some folks who were saying that they worked in uh, education, especially like at the college university level uh, where you have like residential and dormitories uh, where you might have, you know, a hundred people, even more than that, sometimes living in a facility and then uh, two or three people might be living in a room together. So for some of those situations, they sometimes require vaccination so some people were talking about that type of setting and others so the report wasn't what i thought it was so i shuffled around was like oh doesn't even matter we got 50 other reports to choose from with workplace racism so the first report and some of them i had forgot there were so many of them piled up i'd even forgot that i had you know all the and the same thing with the compensatory call-in with workplace racism generally I don't go through the catacombs, right, to to find something related to workplace racism that happened uh, a month ago or five years ago. Generally, without exception, it's within the last seven days. Frequently within the last four days, something that happened since the beginning of the week. That was the case with what you heard there. So I'd forgotten. It seemed like Monday was years ago. So the first segment they were talking uh, in this, the first two, I think, The first two or three segments were all St. Louis Public Radio. So they were talking about the black police officers in St. Louis, no less. Now, all that stomping around the streets, Michael Brown Jr. and everything else. They were talking about black St. Louis, uh, black police officers uh, who got a what they call a geography lesson. Made reports about racism and the like, and we'll show you didn't even want Negras on the force to begin with. So you get some kooky assignment where they put you way out uh, in the hinterlands, they said. Way out far from your home and all the rest of it. And they said that this sort of thing had happened before. Uh, we talk about that standard operating procedure that they had done this uh, to Keith Wildhaber. I think how you say it's, uh, his name, Wildhaber. Uh, this is a white male uh, with the St. Louis Police Department who won a 20 the million dollar verdict saying he was mistreated gay white man that that was the basis of his ostracization and mistreatment Uh, and so he got a 20 million dollar verdict I'm not sure if these black officers will get 20 million dollars for alleging 
uh, racism. And even that was said in the segment, they said that frequently it's not the racism allegation. It is the retaliation charge where you end up getting the victory that they did something to you on the basis of you being a member of a protected class, gay, LGBTQ, disabled, Negro, allegedly, and, you know, all the rest of it. But I thought all that was fascinating. Uh, They moved uh, from there. I thought the question that the caller asked about compensation, is it a difference if it's sexual so-called discrimination as opposed to racism? I thought that was interesting, too. Uh, But uh, and then they they segued to talking about the female, I guess she filed a suit saying that she was terminated for being ugly. I was thinking this has got to be a white woman too. Uh, and so they talked about, is that legal? Is it possible that you can do that? And they uh, were talking about in certain states, uh, it's right to work. So they can fire you for any reason, right? And I know we have a number of folks. I think uh, Virginia is like that. North Carolina, I think like, it's pretty widespread, pretty common thing. Uh, And so they were talking, they were saying, uh, so how can you get around that? What type of languaging, how they classify you in terms of uh, in terms as an employee, how you're classified, that that can sometimes allow them greater discretion to say, oh, well, you have to be uh, have certain hair type or you have to be in shape or whatever it is to have this job. You have to have a certain look, even though they said it's it's allegedly not supposed to apply to racism, uh, although to race I think the way they phrased it although like at Hooters I'm not aware like I haven't gone to a Hooters and seen people who look like I don't know Lapita Nyong'o I don't get to Hooters all that often they don't have a great vegan spread but uh, the times that I've been and even been near it I lived pretty close to a Hooters when I was in Atlanta I don't remember them having a lot of darker complexion highly melanated black females and there's tons of them in Atlanta uh, with hair that has not been chemically mutilated and dyed and all the rest of it. I don't remember that, but I thought that was fascinating. Just explaining how they're able to get away with that. Even the languaging there, he said B F O Q. And I didn't know what that was either. They just kept saying that those acronyms and that'll happen in some work environments. People use a lot of acronyms. You should never feel intimidated about that. Just ask. Uh, especially if you're new, but I wouldn't care if you've been working there 20 years and they're BFOQ, 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 pardon, 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 BFOQ, what is that? And that's what the announcer did. I don't even know. What is it? Bonafide occupational qualification. Wow. Can't they come up with a phrase? That's how you can make sure that if we want Hooters to be full of blonde, petite, suspected racists, that's what it'll be. Bonafide occupational qualification. Has anyone heard that one? Any, do we have any uh, HR uh, personnel or, or folks you work in an environment where that is a part of your workplace jargon? Or if they just hit them with the acronym BFOQ. They gave the uh, last two segments. Those were not St. Louis Public Radio where they were talking about the impact of the virus, although not the vaccine and all that, but just uh, the PP paycheck protection programs and black people not getting the uh, same type of help. Racism certainly being a component uh, of that, which it was, you know, even before we had the Rona uh, and how uh, the number of black businesses that are being impacted and how they may not survive. I think we said for a long time uh, on workplace racism and beyond, Uh, All of the talk that black people just need to go into business for themselves and that will somehow end white supremacy racism. 
wrong. Another illustration, everything that's happened with the uh, COVID situation. We've had folks who talked about that black business owners who talked about, they've been sometimes in areas where they've put these restrictions in place and it had a huge and devastating impact uh, on their business. Uh, we've heard from folks directly uh, who talked about that. So, and I, and again, I haven't really heard too many times where it's been people making decisions about what the restrictions are going to be. Is it going to be that you can dine outside only or not have dine out or what is in a essential business. It hasn't been too many times where I've seen people that look like OJ Simpson, Johnny Cochran. We're reading about OJ. You know, I haven't seen too many uh, times where it's been these type of people who are making the decisions about what's going to happen. I haven't seen Andrew Gillum on the panel for Florida saying this is what's going to be uh, down in the, uh, what they call the sunshine state. This is what the rules are going to be. Uh, who's going to be over there. That's not what I've seen. It's been mostly white people making decisions about what's going to be opened, what's going to be closed and all the rest of it. Uh, let's see. Have any more on the, they gave the, the final segment was talking about North Carolina specifically uh, and some of the same things, how difficult uh, it's been for those businesses there. White people know that sort of information already. Uh, if they really were about working against racism, white supremacy, I'm sure they could do quite a bit uh, to help those different black businesses uh, remain, uh, whether it's making easier access. Uh, this is, you know, we're almost at 2021. They could have phone apps and all kinds of things to make it easier. Shouldn't be. I've heard that repeatedly. In fact, when they've been talking about reports where black businesses have had problems, a lot of times it's been paperwork issues and that type of thing is 2021. All right. We already know we got the, the school children and to say that at all levels to say, well, we got the same thing. The Negras don't have technology in 2021. That's why I had to go crazy about getting my MacBook Pro. Oh my gosh, they don't have computers and they don't have Wi-Fi. And what are we going to do? That way they can't fill out the unemployment forms and they can't get their homework done and they can't get the rest of this done. What are we going to do? Really, you can't come up with some easy uh, phone apps or what have you so that people could get their paperwork done for their business. And oh, you didn't get taxes done yet for this. Boom, boom, boom. We'll make sure compensate make sure that you all are not victims of racism or the rona because black businesses matter they could do that nah nah rather complain about oj uh let's see the email again is until justice at gmail.com uh, so we had lots of emails and specifically we even got updates always appreciate the updates if you uh take time either to dial in uh, or email to kind of let us know if you got constructive information uh, from uh, our dialogue or thoughts about what ha what's happening uh, on your job. Great. If you use some of the, the suggestions, that is awesome. If you disregard them, that is awesome too. You have a brain computer. I think we say regularly, follow the logic not follow verbatim what is said on this program and all the rest of it. No, you got a brain computer. So if you end up figuring out some other solutions to help solve some of your problems without creating new problems on your job. Awesome. Just give us an update, either email or call in or both or, you know, whatever. So last week we had a victim of racism person wrote in and they were saying that on their job, they had a non white non-black person so-called Mexican uh, female who approached him uh, 
I, I don't think I think the person said that they don't have rapport. I, uh, we'll have we'll double see when we get our update. But the person approached him. I uh, came calling out, hey, I think this race soldier uh, has been terrorizing me. And we were taken aback. We talked about it last week. How do you feel uh, if this is a non-white person, even if it was a black person, but it just so happens this is a non-white, non-black person uh, who is coming up to you that you don't talk to on a regular basis and wanting to talk about racism and asking you for suggestions. Uh, We talked about it. Uh, I said myself, I would be reluctant if I don't know this person, if we don't have a rapport. Why are you seeking me out to ask about these type of things? There could be a recording like I would just have uh, a lot of hesitancy uh, about this. And I asked questions because I said, man, racial, because that was the language in the email, like this non-white female uh, comes up saying, hey, this race soldier terrorized me. And I said, wow, did did the person say race soldier? Like that's that's the type of language that they use. Did the person say terrorizing? Uh, and I also asked, like, what type of rapport? Like, is this someone that, you know, do you all hang out or at least before the Rona? Maybe did you all hang out and kick it or do you all from a social distance uh, chat? talk briefly now before this exchange about the alleged race soldier terrorizing. So we got the update this week person writes in, I would like to thank you uh, for your time and energy and responding to my email for clarity. Yes, she did call the white supervisor, a race soldier. And while talking to me, she morosely rubbed her head and agitatively stated verbatim. I never imagined that I would be subjected to white terrorism. She is not someone I normally talk to nor socialize with. But interestingly, she sought me out because she states that she knows black people catch hell all the time. And she wants my advice on how to handle this to how to handle this. He'll thrust upon her by a racist woman. Oh, and to how to handle this hell thrust upon her by a racist woman. That's when I told her white people can show you better than I can tell you. This victim is terrified due to the fact that she is a teacher who is about to be certified to be a speech pathologist. She states that the race soldier is employing the three T telling, not training and then testing. Another tactic that is being employed is what Mr. Fuller calls sizing, i.e. let her do everyone's work so she cannot have time to do her own work. And in so doing, making her look shiftless and indolent. A third tactic that the racist woman is using is one you emphatically talk about on workplace racism uh, surveillance. She states that she is watched at all four schools by other racists. She states she has approximately three weeks more to get her certification and the attacks have grown exponentially and she has a lot of trepidation. I would like to advise her more, but I am scared for my own self. Tell me about it. Uh, So the best that I did for her was tell her, listen to Dr. Edward Williams on how to fight on the job racism. That's it. Uh, Thanks, Gus, for the work that you do. The cows has kept many people off the unemployment line. Uh, I hope so. (laughs) Let's see. see. Uh, And that's a testament to the acumen of you and the listeners. Uh, I've witnessed every aspect, every racist act that B in Toronto and the caller in Florida have described on the show, including them putting your water on the floor. Hmm. Oh, well, much obliged. I'm glad we got the uh, update 
from the listener. Uh, I'm even more concerned. Like if a strength, yeah. Cause he said that this person, they didn't have uh, a rapport. They weren't kicking it. They weren't friends uh, before all of this. Uh, they didn't normally talk or socialize. So if a stranger basically came up to me in a work environment, even a black person, and there's a suspected race soldier who's terrorizing me. It's an incident of triple T's tacky, trashy and terroristic. I don't think I would say a word <laughs> like a word. Like if you have all that information, if you're that codified, you already have the resources where you should be able to solve this problem. You don't need any input from me. And if you have all of that codified information, you should know better than to be talking to another black person on the job or another victim period on the job. You're not ignorant about racism. You said, you know, black people catch hell, right? That's what she said. Then you don't need my input on anything. I wouldn't have anything uh, to say. And that would be my stance. Like I said, if it was Johnny Cochran, we're reading about OJ. You know? It was Johnny Cochran came up to me on a job after all that. And I'm, doesn't quit doesn't fit you must have quit and all the rest of us seen him on tv and he came up to me and said that like wow uh you got oj off so you're not confused about racism right especially if he's talking like oh i read the code book and all that oh yeah you got it johnny you got it i don't think you you need any assistance from me i think you'll figure it out you got all the alliterations in together you'll probably make a nice rhyme and and jingle about it i'll talk to you later (laughs) much obliged like all serious i would have nothing to say i don't have rapport with you i do not go in a workplace environment just you know spewing uh neely fuller jr or what's in the word god or calling people race soldiers like that is like the exact opposite of my recommendation in terms of codification all of that would stand out as suspicious to me like i wouldn't even be i wouldn't even be able to give any advice to focus on that what is she saying about because i mean that does have some logic to it like we've heard that before if you are a victim of racism and you are about to get certification about to uh, complete a task or something gain you know a promotion whatever it is and race soldiers triple t and all that get upset you know we want to see if we can uh, sabotage that see if we can obstruct that somehow heard that millions of times no doubt i wouldn't even be able to respond to give suggestions around that because i would be so suspicious of wow this person is talking like this uh why are you talking like this again to me again if you're that codified you should already have enough information enough logic to solve this problem and again if you have that much information then you should certainly have enough logic to be cautious about talking to other non-white people about racism in the workplace and I could just keep going that's why I said the list would be so long as to why I would have nothing to say you should also, if you have that much of a codified understanding of racism, white supremacy, you would understand why I would be suspicious of talking to you on the job. Lots of like, yeah, I would nothing like even VGQ, certainly uh, him saying, you know, white people can show you better than I can tell you. That's pretty safe. I wouldn't even have that to say <laughs> like, hmm. That's interesting. Might not even be that. It might just be the mm, 
and keep rolling. I said, I think I said last week and some other folks like, no, you're not just going to come and talk to me because you know, black people catch hell. So I want to come. I think B gave us another rhyme. We had lots of that last week. It was kiss up, kick down. I'm not going to entertain that either. Even from another black person uh, to just, I'm going to come seek you out to talk about racism. Like that's not my ambition to be known, to have that sort of title, uh, even from, even to get that sort of designation unofficially, like, no, thank you. I'm here to try to get my promotion, to not have any problems as best I can, to not be mistreated. If I can aid other victims of racism while I'm here, that's great. But that's not like a top tier objective, uh, in my opinion. But this especially just everything about it, like, wow, (sighs) I could be wrong. I could just be a, a great big scaredy cat. And maybe this is another victim of racism who is informed who is less confused and you know, maybe she just saw another victim of racism who seems like he's codified and seems like he has some black self-respect. So, Hey, this is someone I can talk to. He's a black person. So I know he's treated like a nigra and he seems like he's kind of a codified black person. So, you know, I'll kind of, uh, put up my sign, right? Some people have that. Like I see somebody I think is codified. I'll go talk to them in a codified manner and see if we can, you know, maybe help get this problem solved. Maybe that's what it is. I could be wrong. I would be, st- I would have to find out the hard way that that's what it is and be totally stunned the whole way through. But yeah, other folks, if you have thoughts on that, if you have your own situation, the number again is 720-716-7300, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you you would like to participate uh, again if you have thoughts uh, either your own situation uh, and or if you have uh, thoughts on uh, yeah <laughs> that predicament uh, if you feel like that would be a safe environment to aid another victim of racism uh, first few folks who dialed in with a hand up line should be open Uh, Rob in California. Yes, sir. Uh, greetings, guests, uh, listeners, and callers. Uh, not really a whole lot to report. Um, the uh, report about the uh, black restaurants closing. Um, I have observed that in downtown San Diego. Um, And it's very interesting because in the area that I'm in, it was the only black restaurant that was open downtown. And it was pretty big, pretty nice. Um, I didn't have the chance of going there before uh, they closed their doors. Um, But interestingly enough, that is the only restaurant that I've seen closed on the block that I live on. Like, the only other business that I've seen closed its doors was a, um, like, a San Diego uh, tourist shop, like, where you can get, like, you know, a bunch of stuff that says, like, San Diego or, you know, what have you. Um, On the job, uh, I do work in the restaurant. It, it, it is only outside dining, um, like every, I guess, everywhere else in the United States right now. Um, 
has affected business uh, tremendously. Um, schedule just came out. Uh, I do have, I was getting five days a week. Uh, next week I got four. But I have also been going home uh, two hours early, an hour early. Um, so every one hours uh, are being affected. Um, and that's all I have to report at this time. Uh, thank you. Mm. Much obliged, Rob, in SoCal. Um, he had talked about that, I guess, a few times now in terms of one in California, much like uh, many other locations around the world, uh, for a rise in COVID-19 cases. Uh, and so they've had more uh, restrictions and uh, not allowing folks to dine inside. Uh, I think we had talked about before. Now, he's in Southern California and he's talking about it still having a really big impact uh, and saying, you know, we're just going to have dine, dining outside, outdoor dining only. Uh, it's not like, you know, they're dealing with snow and everything there. So you can imagine North Carolina and other places where they don't have Southern California weather. So, yeah, it could be uh, really, really devastating uh, as we go. We're not even technically at winter yet. So have to see how all of this unfolds. Um, yeah, for, for folks who are in those in those fields of business uh, dining and some of the other areas where it's more in-person contact uh, where you can't really just get online and, and keep going. Wow. going to be a tough one where it has already been extremely tough and then just have to see how long it continues. Even a lot of the reports that I've heard with regards to uh, the vaccine, even a lot of those folks have said uh, things should be back to normal a year from now. So it could be quite a bit more time of uh, difficulty and challenge to endure. That is the system of white supremacy in general. Much obliged, uh, Rob, in Wisconsin. Uh, let's see. Uh, before we nab some of the other folks who dialed in, I'll share one more email uh, from the folks who wrote. Let's see. Okay. Victim of racism writes in, this is my first time writing to the program to express my experiences with racial terrorism in the workplace uh, and this miseducational system. Also, I would like to thank you and everyone involved in the production of the program. It has been significantly productive in observing how methodically terroristic behavior is conducted and confirming my belief that the group labeled as white works as a single unit to maintain the system of warfare against the living. I've listened to one of your callers report that a teacher whose job it was to grade his former students gave high grades to failing students while giving lower grades to more competent students. The caller expressed that she felt this was laziness that he randomly wrote down anything. I recently graduated from college with my master's degree. This is happening on a collegiate level. Teachers are purposely giving higher grades to less competent students and lower grades to higher achieving students to discourage one group and maintain compliancy in another, which equals confusion. Also, while I was in graduate school, I noticed that most non-white faculty members were in sexual relationships with whites, which I believe was intentional hiring. I also understood that these people weren't that confused and thought their white partner would save them from the unpleasantries of racial terrorism while allowing them to partake in a portion of white dominance. One faculty member 
stated with a broad smile that she sometimes passes as white. Another faculty member from India married to a white man said she needed to return a dress and brought her white husband with her as a backup. The white husband and white female business owner pretended to get into a heated argument about the dress, but finally she returned it. This professor has a Ph.D. and not once and not once mentioned the word racism or why she needed to be accompanied by her white husband over a simple matter. Uh, I guess I would add in any victim of racism in a tragic arrangement with a white person just following logic would have to be confused about racism. I digress. I attend a training course while in school discussing transsexual discrimination. This is in the context of mental health. The speaker was a white-ish Hispanic male, I don't know what that means, who could sometimes pass as white. However, when this was not possible, whites would mistake him for a servant or thought he was joking when he mentioned he was obtaining his Ph.D., Not once did he say the word racism or white supremacy. However, he did speak at great length about cisgender privilege and provided us with a list of new terms to use when dealing with homosexuals as clients. When I took my concern to my white professor about these label about these label salads with she said, you know why my thoughts, they all understand the system. A co-worker from Jamaica was discussing her college experience in New York. My co-worker said that you don't have to be white to be a white supremacist and appeared very distressed while continuing her story. She expressed that she experienced a high rate of racial terrorism from non-whites and I wholeheartedly agreed with her. She continued with being told she continued with being told that black women are wretched and that the racial terrorism was nonstop from her non-white classmates and escalated when she announced she was valedictorian. She was told that she didn't deserve this honor and others should have gotten the award instead of her. Finally, on graduation day, as she walked down the aisle to present her speech, she was openly booed by her non-white classmates. I understand that racial terrorism stems from whites and that they are the puppet masters. However, I feel that everyone should be a suspect. Oh, okay. We don't do any name calling. So I'm going to stop there. No name calling, no name calling other non-white people. Uh, and I think I've said for years, uh, at minimum, the spirit, you don't have to name call. It's just when a system of racism, we don't have brothers, sisters, homies, friends, Uh, who are non-white, they're just non-white people in a system of racism. Uh, The amount of anti-blackness, the amount of manipulation, and it's so easy uh, for racists to control and manipulate and have non-white people squabbling, bickering, feuding uh, with other non-white people that you just can't have any sort of expectation that we're even going to have like basic decency like basic courtesy <laughs> can't even be uh, an expectation uh, with other non-white people so uh, I do not regard these it's no need to call these people names or anything like that they're not racist uh, non-white people uh, it's just they're other victims of racism and they're showing their victimization uh, sometimes in the really dastardly way that we treat uh, other non-white people in workplace settings sometimes beyond workplace settings uh, sometimes that certainly is a component uh, of white supremacy racism but just important because I think a lot of times we get very distracted and squabbling with other uh, non-white people uh, incidentally 
if someone erupted into that sort of commentary in the workplace, uh, they just all of a sudden need to break out. Same thing I said from the first person who wrote in about this person breaking out on a job. Uh, I've just been terrorized by this race soldier. Hmm. Now, let's say this is a black person who busts out. You don't have to be white to be a white supremacist. I don't have anything to say for that story either. (laughs) I'm not going to sit there and yes, these other black people are racist as well or white supremacists as well. Or even if we weren't, you know, going to say that these these uh, other non-white people are anti-black and do things to enforce racism here, even if they said it that way. Mm, I might not even give them the mm there. Just listen and what does this? I think the most, the most I might say is you might want to be careful about saying this sort of thing in the workplace. I wouldn't even say that unless I had a rapport with the person. Other than that, I'm not going to be sitting there agreeing, disagreeing. Like, is this our job? Is this what we're paid to do? Like, uh, in terms of what we're on the clock for, if that's not the case, like, nerp, moving on. I've got things to file. Might even be one where I have to pull and actually get up and go to the bathroom to totally disengage from the conversation, come back, and we switched and, you know, are back on our assignment. Uh, the component about the deliberate giving, I guess, poor grades to higher achieving students and then giving, give, what was it? It was giving high grades to the lazy students and giving low grades to the high achieving students or the hardworking students. Uh, I think we've heard that before, especially as it relates to black people. Isabel Wilkerson in Cased said, I think exactly that, that white people would deliberately hire the incompetent black people for teaching jobs and such. They would deliberately exclude the really well-qualified black educators because they they did not want to inspire and motivate black students. So that type of thing, I I guess, has been happening for a very long time and probably a variety of different uh, fields uh, in the system of racism, white supremacy. So no surprise there at all. Uh, Let's see. The... Yeah, the training confusion, all of that, especially I would think, especially in like a educational setting, uh, there will probably be a lot of that, like the cisgender and transsexual discrimination. I would probably just take a lot of great notes uh, because if they're doing training and such, take great notes. I might look to ask one question just to get clarification from time to time. That might be one where you could really brush up on logic to see, you know, if what they're saying makes any sense, but I might not even do that. Cause that could be one where you ask a question and then they get upset like, Oh my God, we've got this hateful black person here. And you know, you're homophobic or whatever, just by the tone of the question that you ask. So that sort of environment, I would just be very cautious. And then again, a lot of it comes down to, I wouldn't have a whole lot to say. I've said that, you know, for everything that's been shared thus far, I wouldn't have a whole lot to say. Uh, I, I just would not be excited, uh, eager to join in any, any discussion. We've had two of those now. Any discussion of racism in the workplace, none of that is a reason to gleefully raise my hand. All of that at most, ooh, <laughs> I'm going to sit back with a great deal of caution grab my pen or make sure I have my phone or a device tablet that can record or take notes about what is being said right now. I don't even have to put my name down because I'm not going to have anything to say. It's going to be, hmm, take note of what's being said. Hmm. 
a lot of non-white people can practice white supremacy. Okay, not logical, but I'll write that down. <laughs> and just go down a little, hmm, race soldiers terrorized me today. Hmm, okay, write that down. Date and time, fascinating. Other folks, if you have thoughts, uh, feel free. The number is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate, certainly if we have uh, alternative views on how you would deal with that. So we've had two different people talking about work uh, racism being brought up in the workplace. If we have different views on how you would deal with that. One of them, uh, a non-white person who's saying that they're being a victim of white terrorism. Uh, and then another person who's, I guess, talking about non-white people having a report about non-white people doing incorrect things on the job or what have you. Um, how you would deal with those situations. Again, I would advocate not discussing if we have thoughts on that or your own situation. Uh, if you have a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. Hello. Uh, greetings, Irie. Salutations. Um, hope you're doing well. Hope everybody's doing good. Um, I have been away from the live calls, but listening to archives. And um, I did hear of an instance of a Mexican person asking a non-white black person what to do about a, a white person making fun of his accent. And to that, I would tell that uh, Mexican-identifying person to ask the white person, oh, so you don't mind that I write down every time you um, mimic my accent and report it, correct? Um, Or maybe not even report it, just write it down. You don't mind? And then write it down and wait for a response and write that down. As far as the person... um, talking about their race soldiers, I would simply tell them, like you said, well, I think you should research uh, the company bylaws or SOP and then report it accordingly. And I would keep it moving because either that person is fishing to, you know, and posing like they're being codified or they are really desperate, but she can't say too much because... It's, it's your job. Um, I have been put in a situation um, because none of my plans and nobody else's plans too much, for the white supremacists, I'm sure, um, my plans have not gone through uh, like I wanted. So I've ended up doing a, um, a job for um, like the next month working for a company that produces um, COVID-19 tests, and it's been very interesting. I um, met a fellow veteran that works there for the time being. He's trying to move into being a, a forklift operator. We're, we're, we're in a fact, uh, factory doing assembly work, like assembly line work. And um, I was talking to him about it not too long after I met him. I said, you know, this is it, it feels like work relief. Because there's no windows, uh, just bright fluorescent lights. It's a 12-hour shift, um, and they incrementally give us breaks every three hours, and they're so short. It's it's it, it's a I don't know. It's a trip. Um, 
And he said, yeah, I met a guy in here that said he's gone to prison before, and he said it feels like that to him, too. I said, well, hmm, isn't that interesting? So right now I'm on a device, a ceiling, a vertical conveyor device with a young man that's 23 years old, and I had to um, quickly make an observation that uh, some of his, um, I don't know, maybe his learning skills, they're not there or they're just not fine-tuned yet because there's certain things I said to him to try to help him out. He's a non-white black male. And I said, yeah, um, this is a temp job. You may want to seek out getting a trade and becoming a skilled uh, worker while you have this job because this job may not be permanent and you shouldn't, you shouldn't aspire to be somewhere where you work 12-hour days and you get in you get in, the sun is not out. You get out, the sun is not out, you know. And he didn't understand what I meant, so I tried to explain it. But he was steadfast on maintaining that he didn't mind doing assembly work. So I had to let it go. But then his conversations would turn to uh, an, a situation he has with another non-white female that is uh, 37 years old. He's 23. So I tried to dance away from it from because it it's not work related, but I told him, I said, listen, it's my opinion. I said, a woman that old um, does not have the, the skills or the personality to mesh with somebody her own age, so she's targeting you, and I tried to leave it there. So in between, you know, conversations about work and his family and his girlfriend, every now and then the conveyor will mess up. This conveyor has a count. Um, and I find it interesting that there's an actual count of how many things were sealed up, how many tests were sealed up in the uh, sterile pouches. And then there's a goal count. Even when we go on break, that counter that's goal-oriented does not stop counting. And the duration is it goes up one unit every four seconds. So even if we're at our quota, by the time you come back from a 30-minute lunch and the number has gone up every four seconds, you have to play catch-up. And so there's that, and then the machine, it just doesn't work right every now and then. Sometimes the, the numbers or whatever don't print on the pouches. Sometimes it just backs up, and we've had to uh, ask for the maintenance uh, person to come over and address the machine. White male, probably the same age as a non-white male I work with, but obviously a skilled worker. And so, like I said, he's come over, he's fixed it, we've told him what we've seen. Oh, yeah, it's too tight, it's too loose, it's too hot, it's too whatever. Whatever, okay, you fixed it, it's good, all right, let's keep going. But one particular day, it was actually... Tuesday, no, 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 Wednesday, um, they decided to divide me from the non-white male co-worker of mine, put him on the assembly line, putting little, um, what do you call it, uh, adhesive little slips on the, the test, and then, you know, that's really repetitive, and I'm glad I don't do it, but the fact they divided us when they know we get the most um, unit 
done in a ship. I found that interesting. So I said, hmm, I wonder if they're trying to push me to my limit. And I noticed the John Henryism that a lot of people engage in either willingly or them coaxing us. Come on, we got a quote. We can meet. We can exceed it. If you exceed it, you'll get a 50 extra dollars. It's like, it's not worth it. So I said, okay, I'm going to just work at my own pace, but I'm not, I'm, I try to go a little fast if I can, but I'm not about to pop my heart doing this. But then I saw something inter- interesting. There is a white female that is the supervisor of the whole, of everybody in the shift. So the shift supervisor, and then she has non-white people that supervise the line. But there was a non-white Indian man that came in that must be uh, in charge of her as far as compliance and quality control. So he went to the machine, fiddled around a little bit on the computer, then called the white maintenance guy that we had been calling to fix the machine over. And then he, in turn, started questioning me about the malfunction. So he was like, how many times, you know, does the machine misprint? I would say, and I told him, I said, maybe 10% of, you know, of the time. And I'm tired. I just worked a 12-hour shift a couple days in a row. So my words weren't correct, but I'm glad he did what he did. He was like, well, 10%, you know, that's 10,000, that's you know, that's out. I, I, okay, you're right. No, I'm not saying that I need to walk that back because I'm tired from working, you know, long shifts. I said maybe it's about 90 to 100 pouches a day. Well, then he goes, well, oh, how could that be? I said, you tell me. I've called you over, and so has my uh, coworker. We've called you over to come fix this machine a plethora of times, and, You know, you had a variety of reasons, so I think you're more versed on that than I am. Well, it's not going to misfeed, and it's not going to misprint unless you're putting them in too fast. I said, well, you know, I disagree with that, and you can stand here and watch me put, put them in if you'd like, and then correct me on my procedure and, you know, my process if it is indeed incorrect. So then the Indian guy finally says, can you put a pouch in? And I did, and it went through seamlessly, flawlessly. He said, okay, well, that worked. And then he was like, okay, thank you all for uh, helping out. And then that's when the white guy went away. They went away. Immediately at that point, I said, you know what, black self-respect, I'm going to say I'm going home. I can't take this. Y'all about to try to push me to my limit, knowing I work best with this other guy. Then you're going to send this racist suspect for sure now over who's trying to save his neck and skin because he's a temp too. So he's trying to show out like, oh, it can't be the fact that it's the machine or whatever. It it was messed up. So I I just got out of it. I did. And before I left, I told the young man, I said, you've got to stop joking around with this white guy, asking him questions. He has no power. And he just threw us under the bus. He's like, what do you mean? He made you mad? And I'm like, oh, my God. Jesus, God, please touch this young man's brain. I'm sorry. I'm being, you know, I'm doing too much. But that's really how I felt, you know. And so I was like, listen, you know how we call him over all the time to face the scene? He's like, yes. 
I said, he just made it seem like we're misfeeding the machine, and that's why it's messing up. And he was like, oh, dang. I said, yeah, stop joking with him and asking him questions. He can't get you a job here. If anything, he's trying to secure his job, and he just made the both of us look bad. But I should have been prepared for that, and this is the last thing, because when I asked the white guy about the machinery the day before he tried to, you know, discredit us, I said, what type of machine is this as far as sealing conveyors? I said, is this a base model or is this a mid-model? What is it? He's like, I don't know. They just put you where they think you work best. I said, wait, what? Like, how you? How did you just hear that from me asking if this is a base model machine? I said, okay, let me rephrase it. I said, no, I'm not asking that. I'm asking, if I were to buy this type of device, is this a starter device or is this the real industry deal? He's like, I'm telling you, I don't know. It all depends where they think you're good at. If they think you're good at sealing, they'll put you in sealing. If they think you're good at doing the do-do-do, they'll put you there. I said, okay, I'm done. I'm done. But then he goes, oh, I think I know what you're saying. You're asking if this is like the cheapest machine or what are the, you know, whatever. I said, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was asking. You know, so do you know? And he goes, oh, yeah, it's like the best of the best. You know, it's really expensive, yada, yada, yada. Um, I made a mistake. I said that was the last thing. The other thing I really found interesting, the young man, the non-white young man told me he had a COVID test done. Mind you, we're manufacturing COVID tests that's supposed to be like rapid, like within 15 minutes or less for the response, I mean, for the result. I said, okay, did they test you with the test we're making here? He was like, no. I said, okay. I said, well, how did they do it? He was like, well, they stuck something up my nose. I said, okay, I got that. They got to stick something up your nose regardless. I said, well, how long did it take to get the results? Was it 15 minutes? Was it less? Was it more? He was like, oh, no, it took like a couple days. And I was like, hmm, that, that right there strikes strikes something in me. We in here making these uh, tests that's supposed to be, you know, revolutionary and give you a correct, the most correct result or whatever, precise result in 15 minutes, but y'all still testing people in here with something else. And then a friend of mine said, basically, there was like, it's a money grab, you know, so I, I don't want to blow up my spot, but if you do come across a certain 15 minute test that's for uh, COVID, um, you know, positivity, I'd probably ask for another test. And you'll know it if, if you come across it. And I will mute my line for now. And I'm sorry I talked so long, but it's been a while. So what's up, Gus, and uh, what's up to everybody else listening? Wow. Much obliged uh, for sharing, Ivy. Uh, Irie, sorry, Irie. I think a whole lot of people, as you stated yourself, I think a whole lot of people uh, have to confess that, man, my plans did not go accordingly for 2020. Try again for 2021. Um, black self-respect. Uh, make sure I get that. See, I said we have had tons of listeners over the years who have said, hey, if it's another black person. Sometimes even it's another non-white person. They're in a workplace and they need help. 
You know, they're asking for assistance with something or sometimes it's not even that they're asking for assistance. But I see that this non-white person has a problem and I might be able to help them get that problem solved. It's been tons of non-white people like Irie. I'm going to try and do what I can from the weak position that I'm in. I'm going to try and do what I can to help out this black person or I'm going to try and do what I can to help out this non-white person. Bravo. Black self-respect. Every time, even though I said, hey, that is can be a dicey proposition at times. And she said, I'm going to do this, you know, with some discretion, not just going to go about this uh, recklessly. Uh, Also, what we heard then is she said that they have their uh, quota system. And that's, you know, we've heard that for like Amazon. A lot of these places where they have like warehouses, they're, you know, producing whatever it is efficiency you know gotta produce more productivity get get more widgets uh cranked out uh and i know they we had the big report with amazon where it was get more material produced at the expense of worker safety uh we've had folks call in uh who talked about that like being in these warehouses and things and wow black people are getting injured and workers period are getting injured it seems just total disregard for Worker safety, you know, people get hurt. And, oh, oh well, get the wheelbarrow, get him out of here, and you know, next worker up. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Got things. <laughs> it's nigger Friday. We got products. Uh, black self-respect as well. To hey, I'm not gonna give myself a heart attack trying to meet every quote John Henryism. I am not gonna do it. I talked to some other black people who said the same thing. I need you know employment and all that. I'm gonna work. And in fact. This is like a centuries old component of white supremacy. Like it painfully reminded me of Edward Baptist. The half has never been told where he has all those components where they would have uh, black slaves who had to go pick cotton. We come on. You got to get 400 pounds of cotton. So you do 400 pounds. So we come in Saturday. All right. We got to get 410 pounds of cotton. So, oh, God. So we go out and we get 400. You come to. All right. We got to get 425 pounds. And it just keeps going and going. And, going. and then sometimes. The quota will be you got to get 425 pounds of cotton. So we go out and we get 425 pounds of cotton. And they still complain like, oh, you're lazy and shiftless. And they do the rest of it. And then the equipment uh, breaking and they blame it on you. Standard operating procedure. You're just here. I'm working hard. They have faulty equipment. It even seems the test might be faulty, but, you know, whatever. Uh, faulty equipment, and they like, oh yeah, you put too much pressure on the machine, or you feed them in too fast, and all the rest of it. Uh, incidentally, I think she said when she was talking about that, the white guy who comes to work on the machine, and when she's talking, she says, man, I didn't get my words correct there. I think any time where you are self-correcting, like you reckon, like, oh man, I shouldn't have said that, I should have said this here, bang, next time I say, say this right here, I'd be like, that is, that is codification right there. Uh, because if it, you know, it didn't matter. You can just say whatever you want, you know, just go in and blah, 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 and talk all day long, talk as fast as you want to say any words, then, you know, whatever. But recognizing that I shouldn't have said that. This is what I'm supposed to say. This is what I'm going to say that that is how codification works. You recognize none of us are perfect or this problem would have been solved. You recognize when you make errors. I say that all the time. You're the person that's in the best position to judge like, oh, and I'll do better. When you catch, you will do better. Like up, uh, you can even correct immediately. Like up, uh, should have said it up. Poop. Say the correct word and just keep it moving. Asking questions, whatever it needs to be. Incidentally, she said this black male was there. She's trying to at least plant the seed. Like, hey, 
maybe look for something better. You don't really want to be in this position 12 hours. Like maybe look for something better. Black self-respect there too, but they're, they're here. They're working, doing quality work, not trying to be shiftless and looking to get a cigarette break, break every uh, five minutes or whatever it is, trying to get some work done and exhibit some black self-respect. They come in and break up the team. Ah, no, 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 no. You get over there. You get over here. We've heard that as well, where you had victims of racism who were productive. It's not like they were coming in and gold bricking on the job and just, you know, gossiping and talking foolishness all day long. Nope. Working, being productive. We don't want to see, you know, productive niggers, especially if it's productive niggers. And it even sounds like there could be some black self-respect. Ah, get out of here. We've heard that one repeatedly <laughs> where black people somehow just ended up in a cluster together in a work outfit and work was getting done, but they were getting along a little too well. Ah, break all that up. Put one on the fifth floor, one in the basement, one on the third floor. We don't want to have all that. Uh, the, when she, the, so the white guy, he comes to fix the machine. She talks about that machine's been breaking all this time. Not a one-time thing. Blames it on her blah, 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 to get the machine back up and working. She goes out frustrated. I'm done. Or she has been mistreated, right? Black self-respect. I'm going to take some time away from myself. Self-care. She tries again. Black self-respect. I'm going to tell this black male victim of racism. Like, hey, be careful about this white guy. Not just, you know, saying anything, talking to him all willy nilly and thinking, hey, he might hook me up and see if he can help me get a better job here, get a promotion. Blah blah blah. That's, that's, no, that's not what we have here. Even then, she would say it seemed like he didn't really grasp at first. That's what I mean about it is a hazard, a major hazard. Uh, just thinking, yeah, I'm just going to talk to these other victims of racism in the workplace. It can be a super risk uh, when you are confused about racism, white supremacy. You can be a danger to yourself and other victims of racism. You can be manipulated, used by racists. That's all of us. But especially when you're confused uh, about racism, white supremacy, it's just it's a lot of hazards. So that's why I say frequently I would be it's, it's one of those you have to be very measured in what you're going to say, how you're going to talk to him. And even she was saying like, man, it could be one of those things where it could be frustrating. I'm uh, just trying to trying to, to share information with them and they're not really grasping it. And, or they're not acting out on that information. Just woof, man. <laughs> Sometimes the best you can do is I'm going to punch out self care. We will try this again. Another day. No, John Henryism. Uh, much obliged, Irie. Lots and lots of self-care. We will all be, uh, I guess, alert for the 15-minute uh, tests that may not be accurate. Uh, yes, we will, we will be mindful. Uh, the number again is 720 the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate uh, let's see weaving in the emails as we go uh, let's see different different person wrote in I'm not I thought I was making progress I'm not making progress with the email so Halfway point here. Different person wrote in 
a female victim of racism. She writes, I'm a relatively new listener. Actually, I've been listening to the YouTube archives. Thanks to Mr. Fox. Woohoo. Uh, for the last several months, uh, as a person who has always been, uh, always believed in justice for black people, uh, your radio show has definitely been constructive and has also made me aware of some habits that I need to correct in my own behavior and speech. We are all still learning. Uh, I have binge listened to the shows dating back to when Pam was still living. Uh, Pamela Evans Harris. Uh, as a person that enjoys reading, I followed along with the Asada Shakur biography, uh, which was great. Uh, which was a great read in spite of the blatant tragedies and unequal justice system that still plagues us. It inspired me to buy the book by Evelyn Williams, Inadmissible Evidence. Uh, it's a good book. I read that one. Get it at your library. Maybe if the Rona ever relents. Evelyn Williams, Inadmissible Evidence, Asada Shakur's uh, aunt, uh, which she's currently reading. Also, I'm on the workplace racism episode where the writer indicated a non-black non-white person asked him about racism and how the non-black non-white person felt he was being mistreated in a racist manner my input is the same as the caller from canada i think her name is b i say this because i read where a high percentage of hispanics claim their race as white so i'm all about assisting other black victims with caution she has caution in all capital letters uh, but not so keen on showing the same respect for another non-white non-black person just my two cents I'm hoping that I can start timing my life to tune in live during workplace racism broadcast Uh, I am in training for a new position with a large insurance company after being a business owner for seven years. I luckily sold my business this past August. And after taking a few months off, I took this position. She said, luckily as though maybe she dodged some of the madness with the Rona. Maybe I'm speculating, but she said, luckily anyway, we are in training until mid January and our training is obviously via WebEx. There are 26 of us in this training session and I can tell the company's philosophy is to overly engage with coworkers. And even though we are training from our homes via computer, our non white non-black trainer who I suspect is of some Hispanic descent encourages encourages a lot of non-work related chatter during our web chat sessions I generally do not participate and will only give the thumbs up emoji occasionally just so they cannot say I don't engage the constant chatter about shopping for the holidays oh god uh, is somewhat nauseating tell me about it this coming from a person that stopped celebrating holidays almost 10 years ago what is disheartening is several of the black women uh, on this chat training session tend to overly engage and share way too much personal information and she had the exaggerated way Uh, And I wish there was a way to send them a private chat to tell them to chill out a little, but clearly it isn't my place for I don't know these people. I will say that listening to the show has taught me that less is better when it comes to sharing with coworkers, especially non-black people. I've also donated a few times and find the show constructive. Uh, Is... Oh, okay, it does goes back in the workplace race <laughs> deviated about. Uh let's see. Uh as a black female with no children, uh I 
I do have a 13 year old nephew that I love, but unfortunately he does go to school around a lot of non black white children. My sister is a teacher and unable to homeschool. That's a lot of us. I talk to him often, but get the impression he thinks I am just a militant auntie who doesn't understand current times and the relationship between black and non-black people. And he feels times have changed since my era. That is a common one too. I have stopped my sister from allowing white children to spend the night. Thank goodness. It has now been several years since that. And my nephew's father definitely was on my team when it came to that. Any suggestions to help get him on that code is appreciated. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I don't have children in the same boat as she, uh, yeah, I, we just talked about that. I feel like, like of last couple of programs, the compensatory call in a few others. I feel like we just had this uh, conversation about stopping your offspring from having white children. Um, it is, I guess even more challenging if they're not your offspring, if this is like a niece or a nephew that you're trying to reach out to, especially if the parent or at least one of the parents is not on board. Like, Oh wow. <laughs> like, uh, that is woof. like, uh, yeah, I don't even, I don't even know what to say in that one. Cause it's, I mean, it's, it's challenging period, even if they're your children, but if they're not your children, like, Oh wow. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I don't even know what to say uh, on that one. That's it's yeah, I don't know what to say. I, I guess I'll make sure to get in. Bravo for stopping the sleepovers. But wow, that is a really hard situation. Anyway, um, let's see with the shut in the game. The, yeah, that engaging is dangerous. There's a reason she had it in all capital letters, uh, you know, sharing. I'm all about if you can help other folks. That's great. I've said it repeatedly. However, you do have to have some discretion. I think that was the word Emmy used last week. Discretion. Let me gauge the person that I'm talking to. Let me check them out a little bit. I'm not just going to be opening my mouth to just chatter away with anybody. If they come up, you know, weeping and saying that they have been a victim of white supremacy, racism, like, mm -hmm. (laughs) so you say, (laughs) I'm sure the handbook has something on that. (laughs) Like, uh, it's unfortunate. It would love to be. Yes. Let's go call Neely Fuller right now. That would be great. But that, you know, it's just. We are in a system of racism, white supremacy, and many, many victims of white supremacy can are easily used, misused by racists. So just have to be aware of that, like I said, a lot of this would change drastically. If you have a rapport with the person, totally different conversation. But I mean, if we're just talking about random strangers and such and or people that just, you know, like I think the caller in Florida said, like the female who came uh, up to him uh, and kind of did the same type of thing came up either just to whine and complain about uh, the workplace situation because I know you niggers catch it so I know I can always come and, and woe is us uh, with the black like I'm not down with that and I think he said last week the same person came running man that Trump is so is, is a no good racist I'm not getting on that one either <laughs> like uh, mm-hmm well, I got, and that's what he said. I got some follow to do. I'll catch you later. Like, you know, 
It's 2021, man. You got to be real cautious about all that. And as I said, there's never a time where I would be, oh, joy, an opportunity to talk about racism in the workplace. Like, that would never be. Even if my mom worked there, if Johnny Cochran worked there, if I worked with Neely Fuller Jr., like, if I worked with all three of them and we all end up in the cafeteria at the same time and they have a code book. Uh huh. I'll catch you all later. <laughs> I'm not even I'm not even going to hang out and be present for that. one. like, nope, Gus was not even present. I did not talk and eat with my mom that day. I didn't kick it with Johnny that day. And I skipped Mr. Fuller that day, too. Didn't like the look on any of my head to leave. <laughs> like, no, I do not get paid. And let, if we have such a person, if you do get paid to talk about racism on your job. Wow. Please let us know more details about what it is you do. But I don't think we have such a person. Unless that's you, no. I'm not here to talk about racism. Keep it moving. The number is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see if we have any folks, like I said, who, you know, you have a different perspective on this one. Feel free we will, you know, entertain that one as well because we could be wrong. I guess the folks who are advising discretion uh, on this one, uh, other folks who well, dialed may in. Have with, you, may have you heard? Yes, sir. Hi. Um. Uh, about what the uh, previous kind of comment on the previous uh, segment you just spoke on. Um, maybe uh, for her thirteen-year-old nephew. Okay, go ahead and take them off. Sorry, it's my offspring. Um, for the uh, for the thirteen-year-old uh, who thinks that racism is sort of gone and she's from a, a wrong era, that she's incorrect about what's going on on the planet, maybe uh, if she could show him the uh, with the, the uh, archives with justice, you know, back in the day. I don't know how old Justice was back when she was on the program, but um, I think maybe if he uh, could see that in the archives and say, "Hey, well, she's a kid and she she's uh she's talking about racism," and you know, I think maybe that might show uh, a good example for him that you know it's that it's our current reality and it's not something in the past. I don't know of any uh, uh, young victim role models who would speak accurately about racism anyways to, to really provide as a good example. That's the only thing I can think of is archives. And I think you might be able to find something with uh, that on, with Mr. Fox on the, uh, on YouTube as well. Um, but as for my own um, situation, I don't know if it's okay for me to comment on my own situation now. Um, but uh, I have, uh, I work for a, um, a big cable company and I'm a cable guy. I just drive around, you know, fixing cable. And, um, we've had a lot of changes going on with the Corona virus, um, epidemic. Um, and I've had a couple of uh, workplace observations, uh, today, actually this morning, I believe it was my second job that I went to, um, went to a customer's uh, house because their phone wasn't working. And just from asking the customer a series of questions, I figured out, that I wouldn't have to enter the house that I, that I could call tech support and they could um, fix the customer's issue over the phone, which 
I was correct, you know. So um, I didn't have to, I shouldn't have had to, had to have entered based on, you know, what the problem was. So I got the phone working from the outside, and I told the customer, you know, um, pick up the phone, do you have dial tone? He's like, yeah, okay, great, it's working out, I have dial tone. And I was going to wrap up, and I was like, okay, well, if you don't have, uh, you have any questions, comments, concerns about anything, you know, you enjoy the rest of your day. Then he told me that his TV remote wasn't working. Um, so I proceeded to try to help him over the phone to fix that. And um, I even gave him a new remote to try to help him fix it. He was trying to program his TV remote to his sound bar to make his TV audio come out of the sound bar instead of the TV because, you know, TV speakers aren't that great. Um, and so we have a new protocol where we don't enter customers' houses unless uh, we're servicing the main outlet. So um, without getting all into, you know, what the protocol is, essentially the uh, the main outlets for our customers are Internet and the main TV box. Because if I, if I unplug the modem, you know, of course, they don't have any Internet. And if I unplug the main TV box, if they have other TV boxes, you know, they're not going to work. So those are the two primary outlets. So we're only going in to fix those two outlets to limit our footprint in the customer's house. So we wear masks and we also wear, ask the customer to wear a mask and we uh, social distance. And we also ask health questions like, has anyone been feeling ill lately? And we, we tell them that, you know, we're not feeling ill. So hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll be all good at that point if those conditions are met. So uh, he, he had asked me, well, why can't I come in and fix this TV remote problem you know, and I explained that to him. I explained the protocol to him how I'm not entering unless it's the main outlet. And um, so uh, um, he said, okay, that's fine then. And I, and I said, okay, um, I have to unplug your line outside and scan with my meter because um, on my job, there's an incredible amount of surveillance, you know, because I'm a cable guy and I'm out on my own all the time. So there's no one watch, watching over my shoulder. So the overseers sort of have to uh, track me by my app usage when I diagnose, you know, issues on the, on the job. So I have to meet these metrics where I have to, I have to, you know, uh, check all the numbers that impact your, your cable and internet service, you know, so I had to, to do all that. Um, so I did that. Um, and I was, I called them to let them know that the outside was great. There's no problems outside. And then if he had any more questions again, I was about to leave. And then, uh, then he said, okay, well, you plugged me back in, but my internet's not working. So I'm like, okay, that, that's unusual because I, I plugged them back in and I, I didn't, I didn't change anything outside. I literally just hooked them up to my meter, ran them a little test and plugged them back up. So you should have been all set. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll go inside because it's the internet. It's the mo it's the main outlet by the new protocols. I have to go inside. So I go inside, we social distance. I wear a mask. Uh, uh, I, he leads me to his modem. I, uh, see, by a, a light that's on the modem, I know that the internet should be working because of the, the light that's on the modem by the color. You can tell what's going on with the modem by what color the light's flashing on. So I looked at the light and I said, bingo, okay, well, it should be working. So could you try your the Wi-Fi on your cell phone? And he's like, yeah, it's working. And I noticed he kind of like half looked. He, well, what I mean by half looking is that he didn't even seem to look at his phone long enough to, you know, navigate to the settings and go to the Wi-Fi and verify that he just kind of like half, like he barely glanced at it. So I was like, okay, that's weird. Like he, it's almost like he knew it was already working and he was lying to get me inside. So then he goes, 
okay, well, can you just come into this other room and fix this TV? And I was like, sir, I'm sorry. Uh, the TV that you described to me is in the living room, and that's not where you have your main TV box. I can see on my – I have a, a phone where it says, you know, TV box in the master bedroom, TV box in the living room, TV box in the basement. You know, modem is in the office. Like, I, I could tell where his devices are based on my my device. So, I'm like, I know that the TV in the in the living room isn't the main outlet. So, he's like – he starts going on and on. And the customer is a, a white person, by the way. He's uh, some kind of uh, – European. I don't. I don't think he's uh, like ten generations deep white or Anglo-Saxon white. I don't know. He's some kind of European white who's a recent transplant. I could tell by the accent and stuff like that. Um, is my guess. But anyways, um, so he keeps saying, "Well, I'm paying. I'm a paying customer, and da 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 da. And you're gonna fix my outlet, or I'm gonna cancel. This is this is ridiculous. All you have to do is take walk twenty feet across the, the house." And I, I just, like, I kept repeating myself. I, I kept saying, look, I apologize for the inconvenience, but we have a protocol. And the protocol says that I am only servicing the main outlet. And then I, uh, I explained, I thought maybe more information will, will help, will be, will be helpful. So I said, okay, it's, it's, um, it's, it's my discretion whether or not to go uh, further than that. He's like, well, what do you mean your discretion? Because you just told me that you can't do anything unless it's the main outlet. Well, I said, well, my, my discretion is if the customer appears to be sick, even though they said, um, you know, even though they said they were healthy, I could leave. I could be in the middle of an install and the customer sneezes or they got a runny nose and they appear to be sick. I can leave. And the white people say on the job with the new protocols that they will back me up, that they, they just want to know they want to be kept in a loop. They'll say, Josh, no questions asked. If the, if the person on the job had a, booger hanging from his nose and he seemed sick you can leave and i'm just gonna write it down just to verify that you know that it happened i'm going to call the customer and we can just no questions asked no matter what they say i'll back you up that's what they say so um so that, that's why so i explained to him that it's my discretion to leave if you appear sick but you don't appear to be sick so um i'm leaving and so i was walking slowly backing towards the front door as this was going on and his wife and his uh, offspring was upstairs, you know, looking down at the front door. And his wife started going into the same thing. Well, this is ridiculous. We're paying customers, and you're going to walk in there, and you're going to take. I'm like, I'm sorry for the inconvenience, but we have a protocol. And that is it. I, I, just, I just repeated myself. I didn't say – I was like a computer that was on script. And I'm sort of proud of myself on that because I, I, I have a habit to get where I get flustered, and it's easy for me to get off code, easy for me to get off script. I'm still learning. I mean, you know, I've been listening to the show for years. And I read, you know, studying Francis Cress Wilson and Mr. Fuller for years. I'm still learning. So it's, it's, I'm not often uh, consistently on code, but I just felt proud of myself in this moment where I just kept repeating myself. I just left. I, just, I, I opened up the door. I took off my little booties, you know, because we have booties when we enter the customer's houses. And I said, um, uh, I'm sorry for your inconvenience, but I got to go. Like while they were still mid-sentence, were telling me, what I'm going to do with, you know, how I'm going to go in there, I'm going to fix it, they're going to cancel. It's not a part of my job. Like when, whenever a customer says they're going to cancel, I'm already, I'll, I'll just say, excellent. Okay, I'll, if you give me five minutes, I can clean up and I'll be leaving right away. Because oftentimes what I find is that um, it's not as many white people. It's usually other non-white people, uh, well, racially ambiguous people. Like sometimes I have customers that appear to be 
what, what could be classified as Arabic, whatever that means, or Middle Eastern, whatever that means. Um, uh, but they appear to be white. I don't know. Anyway, sometimes when I have those customers, they often seem to, I feel like, a very peculiar anti-blackness coming from them that's not the same as, like, Anglo-Saxon white person. I don't know. It's like a different different white racist code coming from them. I don't know. But where they, they tell me, I'm going to cancel if you don't do this. And I've just gotten in the habit of saying, if you give me five minutes, no longer than five, I will leave. And I, I, and I turn around almost as in, to end the conversation. And then they always end up saying, whoa, 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 wait, whoa, wait. That's usually something that they say to try to get me to, to bend the knee, so to speak, and complete the task. Like, I'm out, I'm out on commission. I'm paid by the hour. So I, I, that doesn't affect me at all. I'm not in sales. But um, uh, so that was that, that, was that incident. And, um, but the whole George Floyd protest and everything that's been going on, um, we've had multiple uh, conversations about race on the job. Like, uh, not like just me talking with another victim or, 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 or a race soldier on the job. It, it's, it's been like the company, like our manager, who's a relatively young, uh, maybe a guy in his 30s uh, manager um, in, in, in my office. And there's like, a, so he's over, you know, a couple of 150 so, so people. Uh, um, he's got to be making at least, you know, I don't know how much he makes, but a lot, a lot more than me. I'm a tiny cog in the wheel. But so um, anyways, and my company, for some reason, has a, a lot of black people working for it. And I thought that was suspicious when I got hired, but I don't know. But anyway, he's, he's in management and he's over, you know, white and black supervisors and, you know, the rest of us below the supervisors. And he also has, you know, VPs and senior managers over him. Anyway, so we're, um, he was over, he was sort of spearheading the, uh, the race talks at our, at our um, office. So and every team, every day of the week had a sort of like an hour long meeting where we would discuss, you know, um, uh, um, like a little presentation that they put together, like the company that I work for, they put together like a, like an hour long video, basically talking about uh, the company's official stance on the, the, the protest with George Floyd. And they even approved that we can wear uh, buttons. They're not like black lives matter buttons, but they're saying my company name, you know, like insert blank, my company name, uh, we stand with justice or we stand with the protest or something like that, some kind of button. I didn't really, I didn't really pay any attention to it. Cause I wasn't really interested. And I also didn't watch the video, even though it's mandatory. I just didn't really watch it. So anyways, we were supposed to watch the video and then we were supposed to have like a little meeting with the, with the manager. He was talking and there's like 10 guys on my team. My supervisor is white. Might be like five black males and five white males on my team, about 10 people. Um, my supervisor was white and the manager was black. So we had a meeting on phone and he was saying, um, uh, he said a couple of things that I found interesting. He was talking about implicit bias. He said, it's okay to be a little racist. Um, uh, sort of like saying how you can't help it. You know how they say with implicit bias, your brain discriminates, you know, choices to make your life easier. Like you, you can't be, be in your brain and have like 30 choices. You got to, you got to discriminate to narrow down your choices. You know, I think that that's how I interpret what he was saying, even though it sounded incorrect. And uh, I wanted to ask him on the call, what's your definition of racism and what's the company's definition of racism? But I, I like almost had to like, like stop vomiting the words out of my mouth um, from, from saying it. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad I didn't ask him that question because I'm trying to stop trying to get more codified and stop talking about racism on 
on the on the plantation, which is a bad habit of mine. But I haven't done it as much because I'm on the I'm on the road by myself so much. So I'm kind of self imposed, unable to talk about racism. I'm not like at an office all the time. Um, and I think that was it. I'm sorry for being long winded. Uh, uh, man, you almost had you had me really laughing when you said Mr. Fuller, your mom, and Johnny Cochran at the cafeteria table, and you just walked past them. I need to get like that for real. Um, I, I, I'll mute my line. It's not personal. We can be outside of work, you know. It's not personal. Like, you understand racism, white supremacy. We're not supposed to be chatting about this in the cafeteria or you know the hallway at the water cooler. Like, come on. Uh, much obliged, sir. Um, yeah, we're all still learning. You know, all trying to get better. Uh, at the co- apparently, we have a lot of people who are still, uh, I guess, still learning with trying to get better about. Uh, Hey, we do not talk about racism in the workplace. I guess it's good to know that. So I'll make sure to keep uh, saying it. But man, uh, I just I've heard from so many people. I try to emphasize it because I've heard from so many people. They got in trouble uh, or something bad happened. Uh, You know, somebody tried to fire them or they did get fired or just all kinds of bad things. I've never I can't think of one incident where somebody said they talked about racism on the job. And they got a raise. They got a promotion. They got the parking spot of the month. They got an extra day of vacate. Like nothing. Like they didn't even get a bag of peanut M&M's. Like nothing. So just based on that, I have to say, yeah, no need for us to talk about racism in the workplace, even with other black people, because a lot of these bad things happened when they were talking to other black people about racism. So, yeah, just uh, that is one. Hopefully we will all stick to we'll get a little bit more you know codified about as we go um the the situation with the train i get i've been a little slow right in terms of thinking that a lot of these trainings that have taken place since george floyd and everything that's gone down this year that a lot of this stuff has happened uh virtually right that's on the zoom and everything so I would probably be less interested in like asking questions in that environment. I would probably just sit back in my little codified spot, keep my pants zipped up, Jeff Tubin, and get through the session or what have you. But I mean, everybody is, it's okay to be a little racist. Like, ooh, we like in the pre Rona days, I might've had to get that one question in like, what exactly do you mean? a little racist <laughs> like uh went and get my pen out for that with just so i could write it down now i would have probably had nothing else to say but just what do you mean a little racist <laughs> and be specific please <laughs> like that would have been great just for giggles but yeah if they're doing it on zoom i'd have probably just watched and yeah, keep from being nauseous to myself um the going to the residence we have talked about that before uh, a number of times because we have a number of folks, some of them uh, entrepreneurs, as they say, other folks who work for different companies where they have to go inside people's residence. Talk, I mean, wow, you have to have like a whole uh, extensive code, I would think, if you have to actually go into a suspected racist's residence. Oh, man. I mean, uh, if it were me, like, Wow super like I could be going in Jeffrey Dahmer's spot like super codified about what's happening here where I'm going to be at where they should be positioned where their children at like 
Oh man, I love it in terms of just repeating. Uh, you all have your code for, Hey, this is what it is. These are the only specific locations where we're supposed to go that, you know, I got my mask on, I got my booties, blah, blah, blah. If you see anything, they sneeze, get the sniffling in it. Oh, Got to get out of here. And then this fella, the lion, like, look, maybe his Wi-Fi was working. Everything was set up. And let's just see if we can get the Negra in here to work on the TV. And then, you know, we got a corner. We can get him to do a little painting, finish up the dishes that we got dirty in the sink, wash our children for an hour. Like, come on, man. Come on. Like, we got the Rona. You, I would even think they've said for years, right? Then they say notoriously syphilis-soaked race, right? And they say all that. And the Negroes got HIV and every other, the Ebola and every other contamination. That's what they said all year, right? Why would you want a nigger in your house unnecessarily? Even if it's for the TV or something stupid like that. That's not, you know, essential. That's not life-saving. Uh, come on. Be on the up and up. This is what the problem is. Your Wi-Fi is on. No, I cannot come and, you know, jiggle with the cable over here and the TV here. And you're, you're not even being truthful uh, about what the problem is. You see, to kind of give some slight look. Oh, it looks like it's on. <laughs> he didn't even look at the phone. Like, come on, man. Come on. And that, our policy is, I love it. You just repeat. This is what the policy is. I'm not getting into some back and forth. And, well, why don't you do this? And I'm going to cancel it. Rah, 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 and all that. Sir, I apologize for the inconvenience. This is what our policy is due to COVID-19 and boop, keep it moving. <laughs> like, and I would try, I've said this for a while too. I would try and whittle it down. So I'm saying as less, as little as possible. You know, I don't want it to be super wordy straight to the point. I'm so sorry for the inconvenience, but this is our policy due to the Rona. I'm so sorry for the inconvenience. This is our policy due to the Rona. The woman comes from upstairs. She could be armed to the children. What do you mean? We're going to cancel. I'm so sorry for the inconvenience. And I'm saying that as I'm walking now, once it looks like they're escalated. Yep. Saying that as I'm walking, I'm so sorry. If you have any of the questions, feel free to call in, but it does look like your other services there. I'm sorry. I couldn't be of more assistance all as I'm walking back to the vehicle. Hurry up and get out of here. Cause they have a tendency to, you know, could be Jeffrey Dahmer. As I said, be super code of God. Anybody, if you have to, even if you have to go into another non-white person's residence, like, ooh, we dangerous for so many reasons. The Rona, they could be gun owners and their offspring, all the rest, like just that's a whole nother world of, of hazards. Uh, but outstanding job. Repeat, not saying a whole lot of extra words and get out to safety. Um, and grand with the even got some suggestions for the child component. Um, Absolutely. You can go back and share justice in the archives. That's one. Um, I think some other folks talked about too sharing reports where young, you know, people that are age appropriate, 13 year olds, 12 year olds, where they're having these same type of problems, making sure to show those type of uh, reports, uh, Quan Charles and that sort of thing to show that, yes, this still is a problem. This is not some old timey, you know, disease replica of days gone by or relic of days gone by. That is not the case at all. Uh, much obliged. Good, sir. Uh, the number again, seven, two, zero, seven, one, six, seven, three hundred. The code five, six, four, nine, four, Three pound press star six one if you would like to participate. 
still making progress through the emails. We persevere. Let's see. Uh, black female, victim of racism. She writes in. Uh, I am unsure if I can keep calling my experience workplace racism, but I guess it gives insight into how people operate. What I noticed because I was a victim of it this week, someone who is above me in title made a mistake and reported me based on their mistake. Now that happens a lot. Uh, I was assigned to a case who was positive for the virus uh, Corona, uh, but the case happened to be a part of a household. The person above me in the title, I guess, didn't feel like working. So she reported me for making an error as in this alleged error I made was reporting a positive case. Two, I searched and this did not happen. So I insisted my so instead my manager comes to me and accused me of the same. When I pulled out the evidence, my screenshots that when the rules changed and I somehow was supposed to cover the other members of the household, even though they were assigned to someone else. Then my manager transfers the household members to me after they have already been worked on and tried to make it seem I made this huge mistake only because the person above me in the title made the mistake first. She didn't want to do her job that day. They used their power to cover up their wrongdoings. Uh, I think this is very common in the system of racism where white people, uh, sometimes it'll be like same level uh, a peer, as they might say, and or supervisor where they are lazy. They are not doing what they're supposed to do, and they end up blaming it on other non-white people. We've heard this so many times uh, over the years and where you have to be so diligent, where she says she had her screenshots and just going to the evidence. This is another one. Have to have your composure. The uh, We had our caller previously who was talking about uh, the white woman. She started to get riled up. He was in the house and just following the code. We can't, you know, go willy nilly and touch everything. We got the Rona and they're getting riled up. And he said, man, sometimes that's a tough, you know, that's tough for me. Tough for a lot of folks to just maintain your composure and just stick to the basic sentence or whatever it is you have to say. And that's it. No more, no less. A lot of times they will test us, try to see if they can get us to lose our composure. So we'll get rowdy and person folks out and doing all the rest of it. Same thing here, especially when you get accused like, oh, man, you did this wrong. You messed it up. You messed up the report. You didn't document everybody in the house and all that. You have to go and just calmly routine. And I say routinely because this is like an everyday thing, like being accused, falsely accused, charged with OJ Simpson. We talk about that right now. Uh, but just you go get the evidence and let's see. Okay, well, we'll see. We'll get the evidence. We check out the screenshots and find out if I did it wrong. In this case, we had a rule change. That's another one, too, because sometimes they'll uh, be real tricky about that. They'll come in. The rule change will have happened on Monday and they'll come in and be accusing you. And you did this wrong last week. Well, well wait a minute. The, the rules actually didn't change until Monday. So we were operating with a different set of procedures last Friday and you have to do all that really slow and keeping your composure like that is key I say that all the time like that is the number one for race counter racism for being codified keeping your composure uh, it cannot be a situation where we're getting upset and that type of thing and 
just because they come in with these false charges and all the rest of it that, you know, we get riled up and are trying to go back at them going to lose that one all the time. That's another one. I've never seen an instance where black people getting riled up and shouting at a white person on the job. I've not seen where that works out well for us either. Even getting riled up and shouting at other black people or other non-white people haven't seen where that works out well either. So keep the composure. Uh, Let's see. Number again, 720-716-7300. Decode 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Other folks uh, who are with us, comments to share. Proceed. Folks are getting their thoughts together. We should be here. Uh, on Saturday, compensatory call in 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We will catch up on what has gone down the last seven days or so. I was hoping, or at least I was thinking, we were going to get uh, a report talking about the impact of the perhaps these new vaccines uh, on the workplace and, you know, which professions might require employees to get vaccinated and all of that. Uh, didn't get to hear that today, but there will be reports talking about the impact of the vac- uh, vaccines potentially and even some of the reports specifically talking about black people uh, and saying that black people don't want to get the vaccine and what can be done to correct uh, the phobias of the Negras. Uh That and more uh, for the compensatory call in uh, this Saturday. We'll see you know, how folks got through. The so-called holiday, again, all of that should be greatly muted. Uh, Shouldn't be a whole lot of, you know, big time traveling and large gatherings uh, of folks eating together. Uh, So I guess if you did some of that to some degree, I guess you can share how everybody got through that. Uh, If racism was discussed in the midst of all of that, but that will be uh, tomorrow. We should also have a broadcast coming up. It'll be next week uh, dealing with food. Uh, I had, I think one of the reports, I didn't uh, discuss it, but McDonald's, one of their locations closed because they had a number of workers uh, test positive uh, for COVID-19. Just again, talking about the importance of taking it seriously, taking your health seriously uh, and not being lax in all of this. It is something to take serious. Uh, But the McDonald's uh, closure with their uh, branches uh, that I didn't get to share. uh, Just talking about. Oh, wait a minute. Got saw the switchboard. I was paying attention to the switchboard. I saw other hands coming up and lost my train of thought with the McDonald's report. I didn't get to play it. I was talking about the vaccines. I didn't get to play it, but they were talking about that. They had a number of branches uh, that closed uh, with the McDonald's. They had the one location, not a number of branches, the one location closed because they had a number of employees who tested positive uh, for COVID-19. That will be something that we'll be talking about coming up next week uh, with the food program. I shared that a person wrote back and he said, wow, 
you see a report like this? Because I said McDonald's has been in the news all year long. They were in the news about the Rona. They were in the news about racism against black franchise owners. We had that uh, program earlier this year. Uh, We had the whole book about the Golden Arches and the history of racism against black franchise owners. That's workplace racism, too. Uh, But I said we've been talking about McDonald's all year long and the bad food. That's right in the middle of the Rona thing. People eating Big Macs and diabetes and obesity and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Listeners. Wow. What uh, what can be done to get, you know, younger black people talking to your children? What can be done to get them so that they they don't eat at McDonald's? Uh, It's like, wow, that's uh, number one. The first thing I thought, again, I don't have children. Uh, But wow, that is kind of important. So we'll probably have another broadcast talking about food uh, coming up next week because that is very important. But the vaccine, the Rona, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Food for next week finished up with workplace racism for today uh other folks who dialed in if you have a hand up uh line should be open uh feel free can i be heard greetings retired firefighter in florida greetings gus greetings to uh everyone uh i regard the uh dcs program uh, as uh, work, my work that I uh, can uh, participate in with others and contribute, um, I would say it. I mean, it doesn't take place like uh, just about everybody who uh, you know does something like forty-eight hour weeks, but uh, four hours, something like four hours on the on the weekend Saturday. It won't be a session this Saturday because of the uh the holiday that I don't celebrate. But nevertheless it you know, the other um the children as well as uh some of the other people do. But anyway, uh as I mentioned uh before about the program, my uh self-project task was to uh, uh, to uh, be, be, uh, get efficient uh, audio-visual uh, apparatus when we want to show the the, uh, the guys something on on film and uh, I ended up accomplishing that uh, a couple of days ago actually uh, I remember you you joked about uh, Black Friday. I didn't know what you were talking about <laughs> until you until you actually said Black Friday, and uh, didn't even have to buy anything. Actually, didn't have to even buy anything. Uh, the only thing I did was to uh, get in contact with uh, my uh, brother, one of my bro- two brothers. He's a retired. Uh, engineer from IBM as we were children he was always breaking something and putting it back together uh so uh i know that he would uh be helpful in the process and he and i together with the components that i did gather from mr clark uh the uh home theater projector uh uh I'm going to use my speakers from my my uh, desktop 
computer, which I could easily unplug and carry off somewhere. They little small speakers, but they're enough to be audible to uh, an audience of something like 25 to 30 uh, 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 young people. And uh, it's going to work out fine. A couple of extension cords. Uh, it's going to work out pretty, pretty good. Uh, so whereas now all he has to do is call the session to whereas we are watching something on, on uh, DVD and I would set it up, take me about maybe about 10 minutes or less to set it up. And there we go. You know, so we have a uh, efficient audio visual system now. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so that's what, uh, something constructive that was done in, in the, that's going to be done now better to better the workplace that, uh, I'm involved in. The work is assisting young black males as well as we're actually assisting ourselves. There's a lot of things that I've learned from that, uh, program in itself. Uh, I don't necessarily view myself as a mentor. Uh, I view myself as someone who's just sharing uh, experiences and information with young younger people, and uh, for them to come out on the other end to be a better person than I am, and uh, also so collectively uh, they would have some sort of understanding development of developing a personal code for themselves. And that would actually uh, make the system of racist white supremacy weaker and the system, a system of justice would uh, one day prevail from neutralizing that problem. And uh, that's what I wanted to report today. Thank you. Much obliged. Uh, retired firefighter in Florida. Great work with the DCS program, helping the young folks be motivated and having some black self-respect, be a little less confused about racism, white supremacy too. Glad he got his equipment to keep rolling with the, uh, with the program. Uh, let's see. Other oh, folks. Yeah. Normally the first thing that we we're going to watch first thing we're going to watch is uh we normally do it the first thing we're going to watch is uh emmett till the emmett till uh uh situation uh the longer version that uh you know they're gonna that's the first thing they're going to see that's it thank you grand watching right on uh let's see other folks uh who are with us comments that they want to make sure they get in neutralizing workplace racism wow folks are getting their thoughts together I'll see if we can get through our emails let's see this is uh female victim of racism, black female victim of racism. Uh, She writes in uh, I Gus and Cal's audience to clear up some confusion last week I mentioned one of the parents at my daughter's school being albino. 
Yes, I meant the actual medical condition. I was the one. I was startled. Like, you mean actual albino? Yes, actual albino. Got it. Her daughter did not have the condition, but could pass for white. The comparison to Naomi Campbell Campbell, and the fourth child was mine. I did so to give contrast to the level of melanin of each child involved. Got it. The anti-blackness still disturbs me years later, given the issue I was bringing up to her attention to the person who was approached by a Mexican work colleague using codified language I would be very careful I was left wondering if the writer had used that language with the other colleague I was left wondering if the writer had used that language with other work colleagues and perhaps some unjust networking has occurred it's also very odd to have someone chase you as you leave the building when they don't know you well. It may be time to readjust one's code. I went off code recently and I'm annoyed with myself. If anyone approaches me about mistreatment in the future, I will keep my response to focus on their well-being suggesting they take time out to refresh and decide what they want to do with a clear mind. I will not be making any references to human resources, speaking to other managers, my own experience, or anything that can be considered giving my opinion. That is very much in line with what I would say. Like I said, it sounds like really cold and dang like not trying to help out and blah 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 just it's 2021 basically like a lot of scandalous things happen in the workplace these are not our brothers sisters homies compadres friends that's just not what it is and like I said before even you know let's just let's go back we'll take the one let's say I go and I sit down at the table with my mom Mr. Fuller and Johnny Cochran now I trust my mom. So we move her to the side. Mr. Fuller, I've known him long enough. We'll say we got report. Johnny Cochran, you know, we'll t- I don't know him personally, but we'll take him for OJ. All right. So all three of them, we assume they all have my best intent and we'll sit and talk about racism. All good and well. What happens if someone walks by? What happens if they have recorders in play? I mean, it's a billion other things to think about, even beyond just, you know, is everybody here cool? They're not going to, you know, snitch on me and try and, you know, get it. It's just, all of that can be done later like at minimum like I said if it's Johnny Cochran my mom and Mr. Fuller at minimum we could do this at somebody's residence late. we could go to the park like it's a billion other places that would be much easier we could meet up and talk for hours and discuss strategy and new books and did OJ do all kinds of things continuing uh, let's see Uh, Gus, I may be mistaken, but I get the impression you think working from home Zoom meetings cuts down on the opportunities for race soldiers to party. She has that in quotes and force non-white people to participate in these shenanigans. The race soldiers I work with have spent plenty of work time coming up with all manner of games that include food and alcohol and opportunities to spy into people's homes oh god let's not forget requests for contributions for gifts are you serious 
It's the Rona. Oh, that's an easy one. We got the Rona now. Like, are you serious? That's exactly what I'd be saying. I got to save all my nickels for a hand sanitizer and toilet paper. Are you serious? Like, I don't have five. Matter of fact, do you have five cents to contribute to my hand sanitizer and toilet paper fund? Like, come on. Uh, I only see this getting worse over the Christmas holiday period. I'm sure I cannot be the only person whose work colleagues are indulging in this behavior. And speaking of holidays, my manager, who usually stalls agreeing my leave, informed me that she will be signing off my leave straight away as I cannot go anywhere. And I laughed. Oh, and she laughed. (laughs) The manager who normally stalls stalls agreeing my leave informed me that she will be signing off my leave straight away as I cannot go anywhere and laughed. Cackled in my face. I said nothing. That's what to do now that I know you're stuck in the house. The airports are locked down. You can't even get a roll of toilet paper. Oh, yeah. Sign your leave immediately. All geared up today. Bravo. And chuckle in your face. Now, when it's back to normal, we got the vaccine passed around and all that. The airport is fine. Oh, yeah. Get to that leave next week. I don't know. We might. We might not even be able to approve your leave. You have to come back and we'll talk about that later doesn't get any better than tacky laugh in your face that's what they do for nigger friday laugh in your face the uh the holiday parties via zoom oh man and the alcohol my god uh i wouldn't care if i'm staying in my house sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy and i absolutely would not participate in any I don't know even know what the game is uh, where show us your house, you know, give us, give us a little walking tour of the living room of the Christmas. Now, I guess that might be show us the Christmas decorations. Let's see your holiday cheer. Oh, no, I, can't do that. I can't do that. The children have a project and no, 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 yeah, I'm not, we're not interested in that. That's not going to happen. You already get the language together. We're working on the house. The children have a school project. I don't have a laptop. I'm on my desktop. I can't pick up the computer here. Yeah, that's not that's not even possible. Sorry. I'd get all that together in advance so that there will be no tour of the house. I'm not engaging in any uh, drinking games or if they're going to I guess if they're going to do some virtual Christmas party or office party I guess maybe uh, where they can get pretend drinking time in together or what have you we do the exact same thing the exact same code we talked about before the Rona so okay I'm going to do my 30 minutes right you come in absolutely sober pants zipped if we got to say that if we got a Jeff Tubin in the house uh, I do my 30 minutes and then up uh, well, it's been great. You all have a grand old time. Be in touch soon. Wish you the best. I'll see you 2021. Same thing. I have my clock up in the corner. I got 30 minutes and then we're out of here. You even have, you can even make it really cool if you have all sorts. Oh my gosh, mommy, we had an accident in the kitchen. We need your help right now. Oh, we got to go. The children are about to burn the house down. We'll see you next week, Diane. 30 minutes. That's the max that they get for the virtual Zoom Christmas party. Neutralizing workplace racism. Uh, the number again, 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see. Other folks, uh, thoughts, 
to share. Lines should be open. Can I be heard? May I be heard? Uh, heard both of you. Uh, let's see. We'll get our female caller first. Uh, greetings, Emmy. Namaskaram, beautiful people. Usually I would concede, um, but I don't want to because right now I'm currently at work, but I'm by myself, and I want to go ahead and say what I got to say before I either leave service or am not alone. So um, to echo some of the other sentiments that I have heard on the call, um, I guess maybe we're just tired of being quiet. I'm not so sure, but uh, I kind of missed the misstep took a misstep, not sure exactly how to say it, but I didn't say anything like outright directly like incriminating or anything. I've just been engaging the conversation a little bit more and it could be because I will be leaving soon, so maybe, you know, whatever. And I, part of it is, part of it is intentional and then some of it might not be as intentional. The intentional part was because I still conduct experiments with people in general and definitely with the people that I work with. And so usually, like my code is just my, my business. I am very private. I stay completely to myself. I work by myself for the most part. So there's very few opportunities that I actually even come in contact with other adults um, to even have these conversations. But the minute, like, two non-white people show up, I work with mainly black people, it is um, a topic of discussion. And for the most part, um, Historically, the folks have been really seeking, you know, how to solve a problem or how to understand something or venting, in which case my code is to listen um, and to, like, be that ear. Like, I don't shut non-white people who are classified as a black down. Like, I don't want to hear that. I think I consider myself a healthy place to vent because it will stop with me. Um, and then they can speak some type of like recourse and I'll keep the attention and focus on them. One thing that I do kind of say um, is that nobody is oblivious. That brainwashing, brain trashing that's been occurring through the media and the propaganda is so strong that non-white people, especially black people, really, really, really believe that these people who are classified as white have no idea what they're doing. And uh, even if it's absolutely intentional and I guess maybe I've been participating in the cows for so long and I've been at this for so long that I forget how confused non-white people really 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 are so I have vetted some but then there's some others and I think maybe I kind of just anyway it was a misstep and in the sense that I've even embraced having the conversation or was open to having the conversation again I didn't say anything downright incriminating um but i didn't shut it down or walk away or just remain absolutely quiet which is what i would typically do but why it is so important why i am still a victim of racism why i am always and will forever be learning and i am still human and make mistakes and will check myself and learn from those mistakes moving forward um because there's um, a black female that I work with and if you listen to her you know especially like if you listen to her and you watch what she does you'll think that she's not as confused you know like she'll appear to be quote unquote pro-black as misleading as this is 
like to me, you know, thinking, <laughs> but anyway, until today, like I've, in the, over the past couple of days, because the kids don't have to go to school. So they're in the house. So in the morning, I don't have to wake them up. Whereas they are my primary focus when other adults do show up in the facility because I'm getting them up and I spend my time actively engaged with the children. I don't have any room to talk. But since it's the quote-unquote holidays, I'm not waking them up. There's still that, that hour of overlap. And now there's all this talking. And I, lo and behold, you know, she'll say things. For instance, there, they hired this um, Urugu female for as a teacher, but she had just been in South Africa doing, like, a mission. And I remember I had asked her, I said, oh, is she, like, American doing a mission in South Africa, or is she a quote-unquote Africana? And the look on her face, like, she didn't even really realize what I was talking about, and I just let it go. She brought the woman up again and told me that they still, she was like, yeah, we still keep in contact. She was really nice. She got a nice job. She knows all the stuff working at a job five minutes away from her house. I just said, oh, that's nice. But in my head, the alarms kept firing. I was like, what do you mean you keep in contact with this person? <laughs> like, what? She doesn't even work here anymore. Then a nurse came in, and I, we, I did orientation with this Yurugu, you know, nurse. And um, her energy, like, I read her completely different than how this, non-black, this non-white black female reads her. I don't talk to the, the um the woman at all, like even in training, I was like, nope, staying away, like as far as possible, you are a hit, like not hidden, you know what I mean, but she can play it because she's one of those white females who try to act like she is quote unquote down with the culture or whatever, but I just stay away. So then after the nurse leaves, after getting mad, she leaves, so the black female looks at me and she's like, yeah, um, there are a couple of nurses that I love talking to. She started listening, but listening on all of them are white with the exception of one. And that white female was on there. I was like, oh, my goodness. Red flag, red flag. Uh, Emmy, do not talk to this woman at all about anything, anything at all. Like, if she shows a picture of a kid, just say, oh, they're cute and keep it moving. This woman is absolutely confused. And every red flag in me went off that this is a woman who would easily, either intentionally or accidentally, throw me under the bus. It is a wrap, okay, with that one. Then there's another one who also comes in in the morning, and I don't know anything about the woman. Like I said, Emmy, mind your business. Life is easier that way. But we have all this time. So she's sitting, they're talking about, you know, what they're going to do for, quote, unquote, Thanksgiving. And the woman says she has she has five of her own, but ten kids all together. That piqued my interest. Like, oh my goodness, ten whole kids. You know, it was a way for me to act like I'm participating in the conversation. But I'm curious, ten? Whoa, what is that even like? So she gets to sharing again. Some of my question probing is intentional, as I like to gather information too. I'm not, you know, yeah, I like to get information, not to use it against anyone, but to you know learn more about things. So I'm not completely underneath the rock. And I'm so glad I did. Come to find out, the woman has a boyfriend, not a husband, but a boyfriend. Both of them have five children. And both of, all of their children are half white. So she had her five children with a white male, and he had his five children with a white female. And now that they have gotten together and have ten half white, half 
non-white black children. And then one in the picture, so we saw the picture and the other one was like, so what's up with this girl? Cause she's completely white. And she started talking to nonsense, the, the one that had the 10 kids and said, oh, her mama such and such and such. But yeah, her mama raised her to think she's black. So we all just treat her like she's black. When I say the red flag, it was like a cartoon in my brain. Every type of red flag, every type of caution, every type of red bomb, like everything. It was like up, back up, do everything to do, like go ahead and make your fallback game extra professional, extra strong. Maybe no one even picked up that I was engaging in the conversation and I could just fall back gracefully, silently, and let things blow, like, you know, disappear. Because what do you mean that whole situation? Like, every cowbell, everything. So when you're talking, what I learned, um, yes, thank you, guys. Every, like, when you're talking to non-white people, even if you are being codified, because I do, my code is to help non-white people, but I feel confident in my ability to help non-white people in the place of employment without making race the or racism, the system of racism, the, the central word that I'm using and helping people navigate the system um, because I've had several bad experiences and I've learned from them. And I don't, if I can't help someone prevent that, especially someone younger than myself who just doesn't know, you know, I will. So I don't have to, I don't have to say, you know, write everything white people say down. I could just say, you know, write each experience down and circumstance down, you know, like, there, for me, there are codified ways to still help non-white people in my place of employment navigate situations that they are being targeted or terrorism in the workplace. Um, so that part I will do. But if you are engaging any type of conversation where you, where I am saying like white people or the system of racism or anything like that, you never know who that person is having sex with or who that person had sex with. And why I say sex, it's important because I do think once you have sex with people who are classified as white, your brain does not compute. It cannot compute racism, white supremacy, the way someone who has not had such an intimate experience with, with people who are classified as white. And she had it a whole lot, you know what I mean? And so is the person that she chose to be like, yeah, you never know. And if there's this other one got, quote, unquote, white friends who worked here that she's cool with that don't even still work here, whoa, all kinds of just caution, 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 discretion, spirit of discernment, back up, fall back. Don't do it because you really, 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 really do not know these people that you're talking to. So huge lesson Amy learned. Um, yeah. So thank you all for listening. Oh, wait, wait, before it gets before you talk, another thing I had to tell you. So this facility does not like to admit fully black children. They like to admit have children that are have a, a half white. Most of them have mothers who are white. One of them is here and she needs just a lot of support, like a lot of mental support, a lot of psychiatric help, all of that stuff. Anyway, there's a white staff who loves to keep saying that I hope she gets placed with a black foster family with a strong black mama because she needs that strong black mama. And I'll admit that white women are not strong enough to raise big kids and that's why they be running. And she has said this like two or three times, looking me dead in my eyes. When I tell you, I know how to zip my lips and I'm just like, hmm, <laughs> that's interesting. Hmm, have a code, have a code. Even if you can't say a word, just, just say, hmm, <laughs> it, it works. It might not seem like it works, but it works because they'll just keep talking. Okay, that's my last thing. Thank you all for listening.
Much obliged, Emmy. Uh, we often will find that out. That's why Mr. Fuller has that thing about the 200 questions uh, before you get to the bedroom because he says, man, you'll end up a whole lot of times with somebody that you have been having sexual intercourse with, sometimes had offspring with, might even be so-called married to the person. Like, man, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And he says that you'll find that'll end up being the source of a whole lot of conflict. Not enough questions asked because we don't really know these people as well as we think we do. Now, he was talking about that in the context of a sexual arrangement. We're talking about co-workers you don't know these people at all imagine that you think this is a super down like ultra black brother <laughs> got it and with it and show enough down like talk about Johnny Cochran he makes jump Johnny Cochran look you know like some lame chump he's so down for black people. what wait a minute who Karen Karen that used to work here Karen that's your you stay in contact with her Oh, you all have. Wow. But you got your Marcus Garvey T-shirt on and you still. Confusion is lethal and widespread. Caller in Florida. Thank you for your patience, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host the listeners and callers I want to start out with. There were uh, two posts uh, that I screenshot. The first, um, it was, it looks, uh, it appears to be a a black person, black female uh, sitting on the ground and the caption read, if killing them with kindness doesn't work, then try using voodoo. Uh, I thought that was racist. Um, It it appears that a lot of these images that these uh, clique members are using have black people on it. And just in general, a lot of the racist imagery is like this. Uh, And the next one was, it was just text, like a post. Uh, This person apparently voted for Trump. It, reads you don't want to be my friend because i voted for trump question mark and then a response says biden like biden biden so you know the uh, tacky um wordplay going on right there uh my next one is there was some recordings that i have found from 2013, one of them was uh, it was two race soldiers conversing with each other. Uh, and this one was bragging about, I think I shared a portion of it a while back, was bragging about being in the military. Uh, and then for some reason, they started talking about the word Hispanic or whatever and how he made some people scatter away some what they call illegal alien. So I hear the guy on the recording say, well, all you got to do is ask them, have they worked at Taco Bell? And they both started laughing. Like, I guess they were talking about um, 
what qualifications they have to put them to work. And they were saying, well, people don't want to do certain jobs. We need these, we need these illegal immigrants and things like that. So those were ones that I forgot to jot down, but I'm going to add them to my report list. Uh, and uh, another one was, um, in 2013, around that same time, this person's, uh, cousin, a white woman, there was a, another white woman asking about her toes, her toenails. And her response is, yeah, you know, I just got them done. I wanted them blue. And the supervisor now, he says, no, what it is is that she really wanted her, her toes to match her teeth. So the, uh, the older white woman says, oh, you need to hurry up. You need to come with a response. And she just says, I'm just not even going to do it. It's no use. He's going to beat me anyways. Uh, my next one is the victim of racism. Uh, well, two victims were speaking about the uh, Wawa. They're like these gas stations that they've been uh, uh, opening up around town. And uh, one of them was saying that, oh, I don't like to go uh, parking around late Saturday night. Uh, you know, these young people, young people are out there playing all this loud music. I just don't like doing it. And uh, uh, the other victim responds saying, yeah, you know, they like, um, it reminds me of when I went over there one morning and somebody was asking me for money. I say, no, no, I don't have it. You should just get a job. I ain't giving no man, no money. So I'm like, what does the person's gender have to do with anything? Um, I didn't ask them that just, you know, recorded it, uh, wrote that down. Um, uh, my, my next one is, uh, there are at least five people, um, that have gone into quarantine. I had to find out, of course, through two click members speaking about this out in the open. Uh, one said, well, the warden is what I, the term that I use, the warden is sitting over there trying to keep an eye on everyone because blank has, uh, well, no, she said blank's husband, um, a female member of the clique, this person's husband tested positive and now she's tested positive. So now the warden is sitting over there trying to keep an eye on everyone. So now this is on Monday. I said, okay, are they going to at least send an email out about this? Nothing went out. So Tuesday comes, uh, a second member says, um, are you going to be able to take care of scanning set this to the white, woman that sits uh, across from me. And she was like, well, I don't know, depending on how busy it is, uh, where, where are you going to be leaving early? And she says, no, I have to go over across the hallway because they have no one over there. Everyone is going into quarantine or many of them are going into quarantine. So the cashier, the supervisor, two of the supervisor's employees and the person at the front counter and another black female going into quarantine. Right. So now I'm like, and I send an email report on this and I know, you know, they're surveilling and reading it. So, um, 
no email goes out on Tuesday. All right. So I'm thinking now, when are they going to reveal this? All right. But I think it's since it's so many white people, like you mentioned, white defiance that's involved in this. She's reluctant to do this or they are the white people. Um, and, uh, my, uh, my last one is the, once again, the body language, when I was going to get a signature from the judge to do an authentication or, um, an exemplified copy, uh, as I was approaching the administration office, the warden, once again, like tries to avoid me, uh, sharply turns, you know, doesn't even say anything. And when I come back to get the third signature, she, she just takes one look at me. And then this is in front of the, uh, the white boss, the head person in charge says, Oh, well, I'll just go ahead and leave. You can, you can come on there. And it's like, she's sliding on the door. Like, <laughs> like my goodness, you know, they must be reading these uh, reports. Um, I just passed 800 reports. So I think they are talking about these reports. And it seems to be changing a lot of things. Um, but uh, I'll continue to let you know how's it going with the updates. But that's all I have to share. Thanks for allowing me to speak. Hmm. Wow. Solving problems without creating new problems. That is, uh, hey, that is, that is improvement. That is the type of change that we are trying to bring about. Solving problems not creating new problems white people being not, that was what they said in the report that we played in st louis they said if you're a member of a protected group i think victim of racism is definitely a protected group that the result should be that you are treated better once there is any sort of concern about mistreatment it should be that you get better treatment there, not retaliation or anything else so bravo bravo uh we, I mentioned, I just said with the uh, COVID-19, I said McDonald's. I didn't play that report, but I uh, had the image attached for the description of the program for this week. They closed one of the branches, uh, McDonald's branches, because they had so many workers who tested positive for COVID-19. I was saying, you know, take it serious. This is, you know, still a big deal and all the rest of it. Do you like five employees test positive or in quarantine and then they don't even make a report about it. They, he said last week they were just doing Krispy Kreme donut day at the courthouse. Like, what the hell? <laughs> like, uh, how is it pastry day? And then three days later, half the office is gone. Like, come on. Come on. Uh, I said consistently take it. See, and this is in Florida, no less. They were having uh, hot spots all summer long and everything else. So take it super serious. Uh, I'm certainly not with the, you know, snacking in the workplace or any of that nonsense. It's just been this is what we've had all year long. Uh, White defiance and people not taking it serious and what have you. And then five, six, 12 people end up testing positive. And then you don't even make any report about it. You know that. Wow. Make sure we're taking this serious. Let's make sure we're not, you know, getting together. We're not doing any more Krispy Kreme gatherings and any of the rest of this nonsense like make sure we're distancing we make sure we got all the hand sanitizer and nah no nah. uh let's see the 
the tackiness on social media, I think that's been the case in general where I've heard reports where they've said a lot of the folks who do the, uh, the memes and gifts and things that a lot of times it'll be white people that are posting content using uh, black people, images of black people in these gifts and, and the mockery and all the rest of it. That seems to be like he was saying with the uh, if whatever doesn't work, try voodoo uh, and probably some images of a black person doing something, you know, whatever uh, that that is very common. Uh, and some other folks have looked at that and said, man, it seems like it could be another like subtle uh, form of, of white supremacy, racism. Uh, the Biden thing just doesn't get any better than tacky. Uh, yeah, if you, I voted for Trump, if you don't like it, Biden, right. Uh, the, just, I guess them talking about the, the Wawa, the gas station where I guess they were using some of the more coded language that it's younger people who malinger there and, you know, ask you for, you know, give us a shilling, you know, got some spare chain, all the rest of it. I don't give any, uh, I don't give any man you know, any money. It's like, wow, I don't know if, if they were, if they were being coded, is that a little bit more of the black male privilege? Like, I don't know. I'd, I have to go and see who exactly is hanging out at the Wawa. But if this is some coded language for talking about negros, like, dang, like, uh, in addition to, I don't know how appropriate this is for the courthouse. Like, again, people are coming to get like passports, marriage licenses and that sort of thing. And, we're complaining about the riffraff uh, at the gas station down the road, and I don't go there on the week. I just is odd for uh, where that's another comment uh, conversation that I would skip out on if I was in the workplace. It doesn't really seem suitable. Uh, I don't even know how that sort of thing would come up uh, in a working. In fact, it reminded me since we're in Florida. It reminded me of Jordan Davis because he said before he got to, I don't give money to no man. He was the playing the loud music and all that. Like, uh oh, like this now is going to be an excuse to kill. And that black speaking of black male privilege and Jordan Davis, uh, this sounds like it's going to be another excuse uh, to you know do away with some some black people, you know, some menacing black people in their menacing Negro music. Pause for Jordan Davis. Uh, but yes. Uh, the tackiness in the workplace abounds and I would just keep making reports. If it's solving problems and not creating new problems, keep making reports. Uh, even the reports that are saved. I mean, you got so many, you got audio from years back of, of the, uh, the tackiness that continues talking about so-called, uh, Latinos. And that just sounds like more racist jokes, uh, more of that to come in 2021, but yeah, keep making reports. If it is getting white people to solve problems and not create new problems, that is a plus counter racism. Uh, much obliged to the caller in Florida. Uh, basically did our three hours. Did we, did anybody have anything they need to get in briefly? Yes, folks are good. Uh, we did our three hours. We should be here uh, tomorrow, as I said, for the compensatory call in. We'll be looking forward to catching up. We will get in information about the vaccines tomorrow. I thought we would have more of that today, but oh, well, uh, we'll discuss that tomorrow. Uh, 
among other topics of what went down for the week. Uh, again, folks can let us know if they were able to get through the so-called horror days uh, safely uh, tomorrow as well. Uh, we'll do some chatting about food also, but that'll be coming up uh, next week. As I said, trying to help uh, folks get away from McDonald's. I, I will say in chatting with some of the folks chat, man, I cooked so much this week, not this day, but I do a lot of cooking anyway, but I cooked a lot this week. I will say one is probably a, an array of things, but one major component about your children eating at McDonald's and trying to stop that. Uh, you certainly can't be eating at McDonald's, but what is the alternative? If we're not going to eat McDonald's, what do we eat when we eat at home? That will tell a lot. I said before, like you really shouldn't, no one should be bad at cooking. Like in 2021, that should be impossible. They have like YouTube videos and apps and cooking classes. And, you know, someday, uh, the Rona will be over. So there'll be in-person cooking classes and all that. Like, it's really no excuse to be bad. Like you don't have to be a gourmet five-star chef or anything, but you should be able to, you know, wrestle up and feed five people. Uh, breakfast, lunch, and if you had to cook for five people for two weeks, you should be able to do that and not have anybody like dying of salmonella or complaining or trying to, you know, crawl their way to the nearest Taco Bell uh, because they can't stand your food. Uh, you should be able to knock that out for two weeks. Um, if you can prepare tasty things at home, that can greatly diminish the appeal uh, of McDonald's just a gander uh, but that's what I have heard from other folks who did not grow up eating McDonald's is one consistency one bit of consistency that they had parents who cooked uh, and who cooked pretty well so McDonald's was not as appealing work on those cooking skills healthy cooking get that in healthy cooking skills just don't want to be you know cooking barbecue ribs or whatever. Anyway, we'll be here tomorrow. Compensatory call in looking forward to it. Hope it was be, uh, hope it's been a constructive investment of your, uh, Negro Friday. Uh, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy, especially this weekend. I bet they will still have a lot of sobriety checkpoints, uh, would be a great time. Hunker down like, uh, I've been saying that a whole lot, but especially this weekend, like, and especially in black neighborhoods. Oh yeah. They, the Rona is not going to stop that at all. They're still going to have sobriety checkpoints out. So I would be super mindful of that. Let your relatives and other friends know if they have to be out and about, especially in the evening, if they have to be out and about driving and what have you be mindful. In addition to being sober, same thing I just said, hunker down, uh, I would try not to do a whole lot of going out for a lot of reasons. Uh, the Rona, armed white people, folks that are upset about the election or whatever else, uh, mad about the PlayStation 5 shortages, lots of reasons uh, to hunker down. If you got to go out, I would recommend being super alert. Uh, if you see folks getting rowdy for any reason, this outing is done. Like it is not time to be getting into verbal confrontations with white people or even other non-white people. Uh, you should assume if it's a white person out in public, they're being loud and rowdy. This person could be armed. Uh, this person could be armed. They could have white friends with them who are also 
armed. Same thing for non-white people as well. But I mean, white people have bought all the ammunition and such this year. So, uh, but that should be in the forefront of your mind, uh, being very aware of your safety. It's no time for taking unnecessary risks this year. It's been a very dangerous year for a lot of reasons, trying to minimize the dangers. So we are sober, hunkering down much as we can. We got to go out. We're super alert. If you're driving, you are not on the cell phone. Uh, as I said, we got to be very vigilant about what's happening around us. And we are trying to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no, just doing the small things that we can. Wearing a seatbelt, being sober, not going out if we can help it. Just trying as we can minimize contact with the Amber Geigers, Daniel Holtzclaws of the known universe. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person no name Calling it did talk about solving problems without creating new problems. Name calling other black people victims of racism does not solve problems. In many instances, it creates new problems, new conflict with victims of racism. And that's what we are supposed to be eradicating. Cow signing out. Thanks all. For tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. Yeah. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.